Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast, and we like to pull some audibles out here every once in a while. Wasn't anticipating talking college football this week, and then we had what happened on Saturday. And we had to bring on my good friend from the Northwest Iowa Review, Charlie Hildebrand, to discuss it all. Charlie, how you doing? Omaha, Omaha, that's the audible signal. That's right. Yeah, just another ho-hum Saturday where nothing important happened at all, right? Uh, right. I believe there was a 12-hour stretch on Saturday that changed the landscape of the college football season. Uh, yeah. If, if that, uh, not trying to make it bigger than it was, because it was massive. We had so many good games and so many potential races get flipped or changed by the results of certain games. Uh, before we... The crazy thing, I yeah. think our, both of our favorite teams lost, like heartbreaking games. Yep. And I get the sense that while we're not pleased with that result, are still like, wow, what a great Saturday. I'd sign up for that again in heart. Absolutely. Because of all of the other games that went on. Absolutely. Like, I don't want to overshow it and say this was like the best Saturday ever. Because I don't want to go back and look at it, but there have been other really good Saturdays. Mm-hmm. It feels like this was the best one in like the last three to five years, though. Like it's been. Yeah. Like last year was a weird year. I don't specifically remember any of the one or two years before that where I mean there were some weird games, and, you know, fun Saturdays, but not not like this where there were so many ranked games that you know both teams were ranked and it went down to the wire, or there were upsets. I mean, the biggest upset of the season so far. And other, well, a whole bunch of beer upsets. And, and not just like, oh, there were three at noon, or three at the 11 a.m. games. And then after those early games, the rest were bad. It was each window at at least two games at a time. But you're like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't, I, I, the 11 a.m. ones between uh, Oklahoma and Texas and then Arkansas and Ole Miss, I don't even know what other games were on at 11 because I was only watching those two. Right. I didn't think it would, be, it would get better than that, and it turned out, that that Arkansas Ole Miss game, which was absolutely fantastic. Like, I am not knocking that at all. It was a great game. I loved watching it. And it was maybe the fifth best game of the day. Yeah, I mean, I would... I guess I thought it was better than Texas and Oklahoma just because it was back and forth. And Travis mentioned it earlier when I was talking to him about how... um, he thought that 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 this was the best Saturday of college football in years. So I think that sentiment is shared widely across the board amongst sports fans or just amongst college football fans in general. So let's just start with what happened there in the 11 a.m. window. Um, you know, with with Oklahoma or with yeah, we'll start with Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, I mean, it's 28-7 to at the end of the first quarter. Oklahoma's down. Spencer Rattler uh, getting pulled. That's that's presumptive entering the season Heisman favorite and presumptive first overall pick in the NFL draft. Yes. Spencer Rattler. Yes. Who apparently, I, I didn't specifically see this, but saw that apparently like Texas fans were like mocking Oklahoma, chanting like, we want Caleb, their backup quarterback. Well, it turns out they got Caleb, and that did not get what they wanted after. Yeah, that was literally uh, the worst thing it turned out they could have done. Yep, uh, better uh, be careful what you wish for or ask for here. A real monkey paw situation right there for <laughs> Texas Longhorn fans. I mean, freshman Caleb Williams comes in, and I, again, it's twenty-eight to seven. It's thirty to twenty at the end of the first half. We're like, okay, I mean, it, obviously. When Texas scores on the very first play of the game, you're like, okay, uh, Oklahoma's defense, when are you going to show up? I mean, 28-7 at the end of the first quarter, 
I couldn't have been the only one, just based on what we've seen from Oklahoma this season, that, like, okay, how are they going to dig themselves out of this hole? I didn't think that they would, and it turned out I was very wrong. They did. What's his, uh, Caleb, I already forgot his last Williams, name again, the quarterback. William, Williams. yeah. They, yep. I know. There, there was some, like, I don't remember if it was third and short or fourth and short. But he basically just ran up the middle on some kind of, I don't even remember if it was like a zone read or a counter or what it was, but like got five to ten yards past the line of scrimmage and was like looking around because he thought someone was there to tackle him and nobody was. And he scored, from, I don't know, 50 yards out or something like that. It was like, oh, that was fun. Ah, there's no way he's going to come back out there. And he just kept coming back out there and played fantastic. And for Oklahoma then to outscore Texas, what thirty-five to ten in the four in the second half, uh, I, I truly at a loss because I don't, I don't think this is, this is a season-saving win for Oklahoma, but it doesn't really change the narrative. I don't think. I mean, now that they're ranked third, I still don't look at Oklahoma as being the third best team in the country just based on what I've seen this year. But certainly. It was a season-saving win. It definitely was. And I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't predict that they're going to go undefeated the rest of the regular season. But I think it's tough to look and say they're definitely going to lose a game. You know, some of the teams they've beaten already just because the Big 12 does not appear to be as nasty as the SEC or the Big 10. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, they could slip up. The other thing that was crazy is – Certainly the most important thing is that Oklahoma won. That's the biggest story. And then also that it was a comeback and a rivalry game and weird stuff happens and all that stuff. But Texas running back, Deion Robinson, had arguably what's going to end up being the run of the season. And it just ends up getting lost, like many things on Saturday, just ended up getting lost in the shuffle Mm because there were so many great games and great moments all day long. How does Texas recover from this? I don't know. I, the upside, if I was trying to make Texas fans feel better, which I hate doing because I do not care for Texas. Yeah, yeah don't do that. Um, but I would say they have two losses. They lost to Arkansas, who I realize Arkansas also has two losses now. But it looks like Arkansas is still probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to finish in the top 25, maybe the top 20, go like 9-3 and three, or 10-2 and two maybe. Yep. And then they lost to Oklahoma, who it looks like is going to win the Big 12 and potentially make the playoff. I mean, I'm not saying Texas is going to win the rest of their games in the regular season, but based off what we've seen, I don't know who you can point at and say Texas is definitely not going to beat in the regular season the rest of the way. I mean, I don't know if they will beat Oklahoma State, but I don't think there's any games you look at and think, no, Texas can't win that one. I mean, if they play... Basically, if they play how they've played every game this season outside of the Arkansas game, I think they would probably beat everybody else in the conference. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. And in year one with Steve Sarkeesian, if they go like nine and – let's say they go nine and three, well, that might not be the end result that they want. It's certainly better than you or I would have thought they would have done in year one, mm-hmm. especially after getting rid of Tom Herman. And maybe we were wrong. Maybe Sarkeesian is going to fit in better there than Tom Herman. Did. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm the, the jury's still out on that. There's still a long ways to go there. Um, yeah, it just I, I just wonder how – if they're, if they're going to come out a little flat against Oklahoma State. It would not shock me in the least if that were the case. Um, I mean, if we're going to go by the 
Big 12 last 15, 20 years narrative, I could tell you exactly what will happen. All right. It's that Oklahoma State's going to jump out in front of them big and be up 24 to 3 at halftime, and Texas is going to come all the way back and beat them. Because <laughs> that's happened at least three times in the last 15, 16 years, I think, with Texas, where they're down huge to Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State thinks they have this great win, and then it just blows up in their face. Well, that would be very Oklahoma State-esque then. So we'll see what happens with that. And then Ole Miss and Arkansas, back-and-forth game throughout. This was wildly entertaining. We have three touchdowns scored in the final minute 30 of regulation. Arkansas We've got Lane Kiffin saying prayers on the sideline, throwing <laughs> up his play call cheat sheet in the air because he knows there's going to be a touchdown that his team scores late. Like, this game... I think the only thing that kept this game from being a bigger game is that the brand names of Arkansas and Ole Miss, while not bad, are not... If basically this was the Oklahoma-Texas game, I think we would be even talking more about that one. Absolutely. Uh, Arkansas scores a touchdown at the end of the game, elects to go for two rather than the extra point and go to overtime, which I I think is the right move given that their defense couldn't stop Ole Miss's offense at all. Uh, it didn't work, but I thought that it was the right move, and I thought Arkansas showed a lot of character in their bounce-back win, uh, or bounce-back loss following the loss to Georgia last week. It looks really good. I, yeah, like you said, I mean, they got hammered the week before. They came back and played. I mean, I, this, you can tell that one of these teams was going to feel terrible after they're both coming off to blowout losses and playing each other in kind of a must-win game for each of them. Mm-hmm. I agree that they should have gone for two. I mean, not only what you said, that I don't know if they would have gotten a stop on defense. They're also on the road, and it's just always tougher to win on the road. And the longer it goes, I think it's less like – now, I I don't know if Ole Miss would have done a great job stopping Arkansas either, but I think Arkansas definitely wasn't going to stop Corral and the Ole Miss offense. So Mm -hmm. I, I agree that it was the right decision. Although it's worth noting, it is funny that there are a lot of people who are very pro uh, Arkansas going for two there, their coach Sam Pittman deciding to go for two. I'm like, wow, that was a great decision, but nobody likes that Lane Kiffin was going for on fourth down the week before. Well, but he's doing it from his own territory in the middle of the game. I, I To me, it's, it's all about the timing of when you make the decisions. And for... Um, you know, for Lane Kiffin to go from for it from you know, like fourth and seven from his own twenty-six, seven minutes to go in the or whatever it was, fourth and whatever from his own twenty-six with like seven minutes to go in the second quarter of a game on the road, that that's not smart to me. That it's I understand it's all about what time. you're saying, and I'm not saying it was like a fantastic galaxy brain decision, but also you're not gonna beat Alabama by punting the ball either. Right. Especially if you're old miss where you don't have a really good defense. I mean Georgia could beat Alabama by punting the ball. Maybe, I mean, I think there's a few other teams that maybe could do it, but Ole Miss isn't going to beat Alabama unless they're like, well, we, we found a way to score 50 points. Well, A&M, I think, had to punt a couple times, right? <laughs> we'll get to that. The funny thing, I, so I was talking about that game with someone at work before this weekend, and I remember him saying that Texas A&M was going to get shut out. They wouldn't score a single point against Alabama. And I was looked at the odd one by being like, oh, you're going to get shut out. I mean, they'll probably only score like 10 and lose 48 to 10. And it turned out that uh, turned out that they won. They did. And we'll get to that game here momentarily. 
Um, but KJ Jefferson, I didn't realize what he's only a sophomore. I mean, this Arkansas team is very young, and I think the future is very bright for them in the West. I think they're going to be able to compete with the Alabamas, the the A and M's, the Ole Misses for the foreseeable future if Sam Pittman uh, can continue to recruit and build the program the way he's done so so far through a year and a half. It seems like there's some similarities to what Arkansas does that Wisconsin did, especially under Brett Bielema, and kind of what he tried to do at Arkansas, and also with like Stanford, but they just got a lot of, a lot of like really big, tough dudes. Mm-hmm. But unlike when Burt was at Arkansas, it seems like this is working better than when he was there. and is obviously on track much much faster well he is a uh um an arkansas a native of arkansas so that that helps and a&m for the record i see had four punts in the game four punts i think against alabama so you can beat alabama by punting the football to me i'm not saying you can't i know i know you can yeah but yeah yeah no. You're not going to win punting second times against no, Georgia. No, you Except maybe, I mean, Georgia might be able to do it. I don't know if they yeah. could, but they might be able to go. And, like, maybe Ohio State, and that might be it. So, Arkansas and Ole Miss, again, great game. I think that I I told Crims this, and I, I'll, get, I'll ask for your thoughts, too. I think Ole Miss has a very favorable schedule. Uh, the rest of the way, they do get A and M at home. I think A and M, depending on what, depending on what A and M can do now with this after this victory against Alabama, uh, to see if they can carry that momentum and and build on it. Well, I think that could be a tricky game. I think the game against Auburn in Auburn is going to be tricky. But I'm contemplating calling my shot right now and saying Tennessee beats Ole Miss this weekend. I mean, Josh Heupel has gotten that Tennessee offense going here. And I think playing in Knoxville, I know Ole Miss right now. Hangover three... game for Ole Miss. Oh, uh, what? What's that? A hangover game for Ole Miss. Well, I just it could be, or you know, just how exhausting it was needing like to play all sixty minutes against Arkansas and the, the physical style. They're a three point favorite now against Tennessee, but Charlie, I think I might call the shot here and take Tennessee over Ole Miss. Something seems different about Tennessee with Heupel than it's been in a while. It, it, it may end up not working out, and he might not be great there. I don't know. But the early returns, and even I think they're only 4-2 and two right now. It's not like they have this great effort or this great record. Right. But it looks like things are pointing in the right direction, and I, could, I think it's basically going to go more or less how it went for Tennessee against Ole Miss, how it went for your Hokies and Mike Cornhuskers this weekend. If they will have a shot to win – but they will not take advantage of it the way they should. But it will be a loss that you're not happy about, but you're like, well, maybe things are on the right track now. Okay, so let's just go to your Cornhuskers then and my Hokies. Um, I mean, Adrian Martinez, it looked like Nebraska was going to win it, you know, have a chance to drive down the field, kick a field goal late and beat Michigan, give Jim Harbaugh and uh, the, the Wolverines their first loss, and he fumbles it, and you could just see the angst. You could just feel it oozing out of Scott Frost when that happened. Like another one slipped away here. Michigan kicks the field goal, wins 32-29. to um, how I'm forgetting you, one how, thing, that Michigan yeah. kicked a field goal with like a minute and 10 True, seconds right. left. Yes, Nebraska yep. got the ball back. Yep. It promptly gained like 30 yards on the first play. So it's like, oh, maybe they do. Maybe, maybe more like 20. It's like, oh, do they have something cooking? And then it was four straight in to play fast. Yep. From your standpoint as a fan, how uh, like how did you 
take that. I think I saw that you were into the pacing part of the night uh, at one point, right? I was. I need to stop doing that. Every time I've started walking around a house or basement or apartment pacing during a tight sports game, every single time my team's lost. It's either been it's either been Nebraska or South Dakota State men's basketball or South Dakota State football in the national title game this past spring. Those are the only three specific sports I've ever had in like close, really big games been started pacing uh-huh. in every single time. Wow, six times or so. They've always lost, so I got to find something different. To it's do enough of a sample it. size, Charlie, to know that that's what's causing it, right? Like it's I clearly believe, that and nothing else. I I totally believe it. It's it's a it's a jinx or a sports gods, you know, just uh, looking down and saying, nope, this this can't happen. I believe you. Yeah, I'm not saying but, I'm not, like I. I'm sorry for you. You know that <laughs> that it happens. I'm just saying I'm not. I'm not surprised because it, this that kind of stuff happens to me as well. Yeah, it uh, not the final result I wanted. This no. one I was not as worked up about as the Michigan State one. I was like truly, like really angry after that game. This one I wasn't super excited, and I turned off. I think I turned off my phone and shut my computer and opened YouTube. I was watching some random YouTube video. And then, like, just literally, like, 10 minutes later, was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that A&M and Alabama were close late. I know A&M was ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama probably won, but let's check the score just in case. I opened up ESPN on my phone. And the front page is like, you know, I forget what the final score was. Forty-one thirty-eight. Uh, yes, yes, Alabama. Uh, yeah, A and M beat Alabama forty-one. It saw that. It said that Texas A and M stuns Alabama, and I had to reread that like five times because I literally did not believe it at first. I was so confident the whole time, like, "Well, this is great, this is fun," but I'm pretty sure Alabama's still going to win this game. Right. I'm going to be honest. I'm not. I'm still like disappointed. Nebraska lost. That took quite a bit of that out of the way, though, too. It, where it was like, oh, Alabama lost. I feel so much better about everything now. Yeah, be- between the Jackrabbits losing and then Virginia Tech losing the way they did, and I'm sure you feeling the same way with SDSU losing and then Nebraska losing the way they did, it it, it hurt. All so three of like, those terrible losses yes. combined for us. Because yep. <laughs> Virginia Tech, I think, should have beaten Notre Dame. I mean, Jack, if, if Notre Dame has two quarterbacks, they virtually have none, right? I mean, is that the old... Adage of the old saying. What your Hokies were—they were up eight with like two forty-five yes, left in the game. Yes, and then Notre Dame drives down the field, gets a uh, the touchdown, and game tying two-point conversion. Then Virginia Tech inexplicably can't do anything offensively. Notre Dame gets the ball back. They score. It's just—it's like, oh, like where's the defense? Come on, you gotta. So it's very frustrating. It's that our two teams screwed up and flipped it around. It was—it was the opposite of that in the one I was watching mm-hmm. where. Where Nebraska was was Notre Dame in your case, but they ended up not being able to score at the end. The Cornhuskers and Hokies would have just flipped the way it ended the game. We right. both of our teams would have won, and we'd be ecstatic right now. Exactly. Uh, and so it sucks that Virginia Tech lost. They should have beaten Notre Dame. Um, I, I hope that they can figure out how to how to get back on the winning track here. With that being said, though, Notre Dame winning only helps Cincinnati's case here. Uh, Cincinnati blows out Temple 52-3. to I feel like they're going to have to keep blowing teams out. But I would take a an undefeated Cincinnati team, perhaps over, depending on how the rest of the season plays out, over an undefeated Oklahoma team. And I guess, are we going to look at, like from the Big Ten standpoint here, because I was talking to Krenz about this, 
I, I, I have a like Iowa's schedule is so favorable the rest of the way here. They come back, they beat Penn State. Sean Clifford gets injured for Penn State, so that certainly aided the case. But Iowa's schedule is so favorable going forward here. It's bad when you look at it, and according to advanced analytics, Nebraska has the best chance of beating them. It's like, oh, no. Because we know how that's going to play out. Nebraska has the lead later, has the ball with a chance to win, and then is going to turn it over with 17 seconds left and lose. Is that going to be a game that determines Nebraska's bowl eligibility for the season? The bad thing is I think that there's a very strong case that's going to be how it plays out stacking. Nebraska's going to be 5-6 and and is going to have to beat Iowa to go to a bowl game. And it's basically going to get the start. You're going to have what it wants. It's like, this is where you want. You peak top five. And I'm assuming I will be undefeated and ranked in the top five, probably the top three. And it'll be like, you got just what you wanted, and then they will not take advantage mm-hmm. of that again. So, I mean, Iowa trailing Penn State for much of this game. Come back in the second half. They hold off Penn State. They win 23-20. But, again, Penn State did not have their starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, for the second half of that game. Um, I don't think the injury is too serious. Hopefully Clifford can come back, but we'll, we'll see on that. And Penn um, State's in the opposite situation of Iowa where they have a nasty schedule the rest do. of the way. They have three top ten teams remaining as it stands they, right now. With I don't the, remember the order, but they've got to go Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Or Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. Yeah, and Michigan State is to end the season. Um so that's a murderer's role for Penn State. So if they can get through that gauntlet somehow and then win the Big Ten Championship game, they should be the number one overall seed in the college football playoff with that one loss. Uh, and if if Georgia were to lose to Alabama, let's say, in the SEC Championship game, that's that's a if. I would, probably, I would agree with that because it would mean that in all likelihood they would have beat Iowa in a rematch in the Big Ten title game. So, yeah, I, I would agree that if Georgia loses – and Penn State does that the rest of the way, they would have probably earned the one seed based off how brutal of a schedule that is. So let me throw a hypothetical out to you then. All right, I love hypotheticals. <laughs> Unlike politicians who say I don't do hypotheticals, guess what, Stackin? I do do hypotheticals. Ah, the anti-politician. I like it. Um, let's say Iowa goes into that Big Ten championship game undefeated. And they okay. lose to Penn State. And Penn State... Is like gets through their gauntlet of games. Penn State gets in. Does Iowa get in over an undefeated Cincinnati? That's a good question. I think it's tough because Iowa will probably, other than Penn State, who they would have lost to the second time, will not have probably played any really good teams over the last month. And I think that would that would hurt Iowa some. I don't know if it would hurt enough to keep them out, but I think it would be easier to say no to Iowa if you're a unbiased, I don't care about the middle of the country, vote. I mean, I realize it's not the, the media that votes on this. It's the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. But if they've not played a big game in a month and then they lose the big game, I think that that would be more likely to keep them out than if hypothetically it was the reverse scenario where Penn State was undefeated and then lost in the title game, but it also just played all these other nasty games recently. But like you said, it, it does help Cincinnati that Notre Dame won and mm-hmm. Virginia Tech. That not just I mean in addition because I think Virginia Tech's at least relatively good. I mean the ACC's insane this year. Yeah. But 
but at least at least like competent like you know they're not they're not North Carolina right now and I I, I I would I would think that they should take Cincinnati in my personal opinion I think they would take a one loss Iowa over Cincinnati in your scenario so what about and also this is the other thing too is it also gets weird because it depends on what happens with the SEC. If Georgia's yeah. undefeated and beats Alabama, two loss Alabama's not getting in. I guess But if Alabama beats Georgia and they both have one loss, I would feel confident they'd be like, well we will clearly have to take both Alabama and Georgia. Whether we think they should or not, I think they would absolutely take both of them. Right. And I think for I mean, Ohio State's got to go through the same three teams at some point to the rest of the way. Michigan State, Michigan, and Penn State, just as, you know, Penn State does. Um, I So, I think if Ohio State could get through that gauntlet undefeated and beat Iowa, that's fine. I guess the, the, the true hypothetical in this is if Penn State, you know, gets... like I would value a Penn State neutral site win over Iowa as being better for them than I would... Uh, like it, It's a worse loss for Iowa than Iowa beating Penn State at home with a, um, you know, against a backup quarterback, only beating them by three like you were trailing in that game. I, I just think that would be more damaging for Iowa losing that game to Penn State, and I think it would wreck their chance. Again, it depends on how everything else plays out. It depends on if Oklahoma's undefeated. It depends on if Cincinnati's undefeated. It depends on what happens the rest of the way in the SEC. It depends what happens if Wake Forest is undefeated. Sure. Oh, I don't think that's sure. going to happen. But it does. It, it, potentially, they still do control their own destiny right they now. They do. Which is crazy to think about. I just I, I feel like Iowa is in a... Iowa has to go through the Big Ten undefeated at this point for them to securely be in the college football playoff. And even with one loss, again, it depends on if either Penn State or Ohio State can go through undefeated or, you know, Alabama. There are so many scenarios, I guess, where Iowa could get in, and it seems more realistic that they might, because, or it's more realistic that Penn State and Ohio State. That one of like that either of them won't get through that three game stretch undefeated, but I think Iowa with one loss is going to be in a lot of trouble against an undefeated Cincinnati, against an undefeated Oklahoma of making the college football playoff. I am going to counter this with one thing. I think it depends who they lose to and when they lose. I think Iowa losing to a Big Ten West team and then winning the Big Ten title changes the math on this and would mean I think Iowa almost certainly would get in then. Yes. They would be I'm either sorry. Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or whoever. I, I should have specified. If they're undefeated and then they lose in the conference title game, which is basically what happened to them in 2015. They lost to one loss Michigan State in the conference title game and got left out there. That I should have specified. Their one loss would be in the Big Ten championship game. In that case, I think that probably would leave about, depending, it depends if Cincinnati's the only other option. I mean, some too, but I always feel like the college football committee looks less at who you lost to, and it's more at who you beat. And you're better off losing to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth best team you play and beating the first and second best team you play than you are to losing the best team you played or losing to the second best team you played. 
if you beat the two best teams you play and lose somewhere else along the way, you can chalk that up to saying, oh, we had an off game, but look at those teams we beat. We were at their best. Those are great wins. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're like TCU in the first year of the college football playoff in 2014, where the best team they played was Baylor, and they lost to Baylor. Right. And then they're saying, well, we beat Kansas State. It's like, yeah, Kansas State's good, but they're 9-3 and three and finished the regular season at 14th or whatever. If that's your best win, that's a harder sell than someone saying, you know, look at this look at this top 16 that we beat, especially if you blow their doors off. Mm-hmm. In the 230 window, Georgia easily takes care of Auburn 34-10, to just further proving the point that Georgia is, the, I would say, the best team in the country. Certainly now that Alabama's lost, but I think even before that, Georgia was the best team. Boise State... It might have the best defense in, like, a long time, yes. too. Like, they might have the best defense since that 2011 Alabama defense a yeah. decade ago. It's insane. Uh, Boise State ends BYU's hopes of maybe making the an at large uh, pusher like you know the Cinderella the power the, the power five and making a run to the New Year six game. Boise State beats them twenty six to seventeen. Wake Forest comes back to beat Syracuse in an absolutely crazy game to to remain undefeated there. Anything from the two thirty window really stick out to you? I mean, the biggest was the Iowa Penn State game. I don't remember exactly what time it started. Started in a goofy time, if I remember right, but. You know, that was the one the most. After that, I think, like you said, it's that. I think Auburn got to 10 points, which yep. I think is the most points anyone scored all season against Georgia. Yep. And I would imagine somebody will score more than that, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia's 12-0 and going into the SEC title game against Alabama, and it's like, oh, yeah, they gave up 13 points to Florida in the cocktail party, and that's the most points they've given up all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it their defense is just insane. It should be noted that also in that window, Florida State beats North Carolina, and then Matt Brown, head coach of UNC, uh, blamed the media for saying that UNC was going to be better than they were. Uh, Matt, your team you ranked sucked. us too high. It's your fault. It's yeah. not my fault. I'm not coaching them right. Right. Uh, that that's a bad look. I mean, you don't. Also, apparently, Mac Brown's never beat Florida State ever, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, now, it is. Now, granted, when he was at North Carolina the first time. Basically, nobody ever beat Florida State, period. Right. But it is weird to see that. It's like, oh, you've not ever beat them once, even even this year or last year when Florida State's not been as good? And this year, they needed to beat them. They absolutely needed to. Um, I'm going to get back to the UConn-UMass here in a moment, but the big story then in the night, the late night here, uh, A&M with a backup quarterback having lost, you know, what, two straight – the offense looks just terrible. Uh, the, was it Mississippi State they lost to last week? Uh, let's see. Yes, it was. 26-22 at home. Yep, that was not. Before that game started, you could make a case that Texas A&M was the worst team in the SEC West. Yes. I, I think yes. that's a lot tougher to make now. Yep. But they still might even be at the end of the year. I don't know. Well, I mean, it depends if this gets them back on track. Well, LSU is going to ask you to hold their beer uh, for being the worst team in the West, I think. With, uh, LSU and Mississippi State, I think, would be the other two that legitimately have, will have claims by the end of the year. But yep. but uh, I think this is the worst team Nick Saban's lost to since that, at least since that South Carolina team and I forget, probably 2010 or 2011, well, 2010, were, I think. They were they were favored by double digits. They uh, Nick Saban had never lost to an assistant. He was 24-0. and 0. 
They had won 100 straight oh, games. Oh, I forgot about that. I am so glad that an assistant coach beat them. So now every time he plays an assistant coach, they don't have to say that stat. Right. Now they might still say it some, but it won't be the same since he's at least walking up now. Alabama closed as 18.5-point favorites. They had won like 100 straight games against unranked teams. I mean, this is a shocking upset. I think this is, quite frankly, this is the biggest upset of the college football season. Just given the fact, if if Haynes In came, terms of what it means in surprising, yes, like, we're not talking like who, we're not talking about the Vegas underdog who had, was a 30-point underdog and yeah. won in a game that people don't care as much about. Yeah, we're, we're, not, talking, like, we're not talking the most league. shocking and like changes the way things are going to go. Yeah, we're not talking we're not talking Bowling Green over Minnesota or UC Davis over Tulsa. We're talking like in terms of what A&M currently was constructed as cuz Haynes King, the freshman quarterback who was tabbed to be the guy replacing Kellen Mond, he he's not playing because he's injured right now. So you have this Kyle yeah, what Caldoza or whatever, and he hasn't he hadn't done much at all to speak of. They had, like as we mentioned, they had come off what two straight losses. So this is not a, a it looked terrible on offense for like a month. Yes, yes, and it's not it's not Kyle Zal, uh, Calzada. It's uh, it's got to be Zach here. Uh, it's a Z Calzada. Let, let me get this pulled up here. But I mean, this is not an A and M team. Yes, it, it's being played in A and M at night. But you ex- so there's going to be a little more of a fight to them. But it, I mean, Alabama's just not going to lose to this team. Not with Bryce Young and the way he's looked, and the, with the way A and M's looked. There's just no inconceivable way that A and M was going to come in and, and win that game. I didn't think so either. I mean, even with it being at Texas A and M, I, uh, I mean, like I said, I didn't see any of it live. I mean, I've seen highlights since the game was over because I was watching the Nebraska game all mm-hmm. the time, but. Like I said, the whole time I was hoping A and M would pull it off, but never actually thought they would until I found out that they did afterwards, and was stunned to see that. I mean, they get up seventeen seven at the end of the first quarter. It's twenty four to to ten at halftime, and you're just like, okay, when is when is Alabama going to wake up? And it finally started to happen in the third quarter. They they're only down seven. They pull ahead 38-31. They score four straight. It was thirty one to seventeen a And M with eight minutes to go in the third quarter or seven yeah eight minutes left to go in the third quarter. Alabama then scores the next twenty one points. You're like, okay, this is Alabama. Like, there's no way a And M's going to come back. Not only then does a And M make that comeback. Their defense comes up with a three and out right away. And then they drive down the field. They kick a game-winning field goal. Seth Small does it. The place goes nuts. They storm the... Looks like it was not going to go in for about the first three quarters of it. Then thankfully hooked back to the right. I would love for my drives to be like that. Start left and fade right back uh, right into the middle of the fairway. That's what I'd like. Have Um, you seen the video of the kicker's family at the end of that game? I have. Yes, I have. They are... It took no. me a while to realize that that one girl like wasn't his like sister or something. That was actually his wife, and that they're married already because it's Texas A and M. Are they really? I didn't. I didn't realize that. that. There. I I can't prove that, but I saw places somewhere people were saying that. Okay, but this this is a an upset of shocking proportions, and of it the 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 repercussions that are going to happen throughout the rest of the college football landscape for this season alone is numerous to say the least. Like it, 
Because now all the pressure, Alabama's not going to make the college football playoff with two losses. They're just not. So their margin of error now has gotten significantly smaller. This is easily the worst loss that Alabama could have, given that it was against an unranked team with two losses, I guess which makes the upset all that much greater. And that's why, you know, teams like in Iowa, like in Oklahoma, um, you know, like Cincinnati, all these teams have a greater chance now of making the college football playoff because Alabama has that one loss. And now you just need an Auburn to pull off an upset there in the Iron Bowl, which is a possibility. Let's see what Arkansas can do. Uh, they they play uh, Alabama plays Arkansas the week before the Iron Bowl. It's not the normal cupcake uh, game that they get. They have to play Arkansas, so that's not going to be an easy task at all. And then you get Georgia in the SEC championship game. Like Alabama is in. I think they're in somewhat. One, one serious- other one. One other one. I should throw out stacking one team you mentioned earlier. Oh. I don't know if it's, I don't remember if it's at Alabama oh. or if it's a road game. Tennessee play play Tennessee also. Yep. Let me pull up. Uh, let me pull you up. Wanna, you want to become a god in in uh in Tennessee? I will go ahead and uh, go ahead and win that game. Yeah. No kidding. You may as well just build them a statue then. That rock uh, that they like spray paint and repaint over and over again. They will chisel that into a Josh Heupel statue. That is that is in Tuscaloosa on October twenty third. So even better, even better. Right, but that doesn't seem very likely. I mean, Alabama now has to go to Mississippi State. That's not going to be a problem at all. They'll they'll win that. No, actually, the downside: the water, the bucket of water poured on everybody. I'm sure that Nick Saban acted like he was very angry after the game was over. And then I bet he, at some point within two to three hours after the game, he was in a room by himself and was secretly like giddy that they lost. Because he's like, I don't have to make up all these BS things sure. about like, oh my God, we only won by 40. You guys are terrible. Yep. Now he actually has concrete proof of like, you didn't do this right just to be an angry little tyrant now the yep. rest of the season. Yeah, now and if they'll listen to him because they're going to want to win, they'll be like, fine, we'll do whatever whatever you say. Exactly. But what do you think this does now for Alabama? Like, what what do you think that this does now for the college football landscape? Like, Because uh, by no means is Alabama being in the college football playoff a sure thing. It is not, and I think it's going to put a lot more pressure on them. And it's going to make everyone want to watch and hope that they lose again. Mm-hmm. And I think up through the end of the regular season, it's not going to matter. I think they're going to go into the SEC title game at 11-1 now. Like, I think they're going to go like, – Ohio. I mean, I'm going to compare them in some ways to Ohio State. But Ohio State this year seems like they may be on the same trajectory as that year. What was that? It was 2014, the first year of the playoff. When your Hokies beat them in week two. Yep. And then, like, three weeks later, they figured some stuff out. They just basically murdered everyone the rest of the year. I don't know if Alabama's going to murder Georgia necessarily in the, in the SEC title game, but I think at least through the regular season, it's going to end up being like that now. That this is going to be like, oh, no, we've awoken the sleeping giant. Texas A&M, you did your magic, but at what cost? Because now everybody else is just getting curb stopped by Bama. I feel as though, I mean, we're going to eventually have a year where there's a two-loss team in the college football playoff. Either if that happens before the expansion or not, it's 
I feel like it's going to happen. But a two-loss Alabama team is not getting in over a two-loss Penn State, Ohio State, or hell, even Michigan State team this year. Just given the way those teams are looking right now, their resumes are going to be far better than that. I don't know if I agree with that. I I think I agree that their resumes would be better. But I don't know if I agree that it guarantees they won't get in because uh, I'm blanking on which year it was. 20... 17, whatever year it was that Alabama was the four seed and ended up playing Georgia in the national title game. Yeah. I don't think Alabama should have got in that year. I think they only got in based off the knee on the front of the jersey. And I think as the defending national champions, fair or not, if they have two losses and we're to the point where we have to take at least one two-loss team, I think it's going to be really hard for the committee to not Alabama. Well. I know, but if I'm looking at resumes... I, I hope it doesn't go that way, but but I feel like this happened already once before when they had, they had a loss and Ohio, I think it was Ohio State had a loss, Alabama had a loss and I think USC had one loss and there was somebody else, like some group of five team that was undefeated and like not only did Alabama get in, it wasn't even close. That was... It, I forget who joined. I think Auburn, because the big thing was that Alabama didn't win the division. So they only they went eleven and one, and they lost to Auburn. Maybe I don't remember who they lost, but basically they didn't have any really great wins, and it was just hey, we're Alabama less in, and then they ended up getting in and winning the national final. I just I am worried I, that that would happen again. I just look at A and M that that loss to A and M is the worst loss that any team with two losses would potentially have. Like let's say Penn State loses to Ohio State or Michigan. And those would be their only two losses, and then somehow they ran through the rest and like and got to the Big Ten championship game and and beat Iowa. That would mean you would have beaten Iowa, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Those would be three top ten wins that they would have, and their two losses would be better than any two losses that Alabama would have. I don't think the losses matter as much as long as you're not getting blown out. I think that's what's kept Ohio State out a couple of times. Is that they would only have one loss and get blown out. But, but what you said, that the other teams having better wins, I think would be right. I hope that would be enough yeah. to get them in instead then. Yes, Alabama playing with fire, but it, it's completely now, I think, opened the door for... Now, you're still looking at if Alabama runs the table, wins the SEC, they're getting in. And Georgia, provided that they only have the one loss, is going to get in. They're just too good. And Kentucky, still undefeated after their win against LSU. Big game against uh, Georgia in Athens this week. It is on uh, CBS at 2.30 this week. It is the marquee game of the week. There's really no other game that's of any, like, consequence or, like, that even comes close. I just looking through the schedule here right now. There's not a game. Arizona State, Utah, uh, Pac-12 after dark. That's going to be awfully interesting. The only other game uh, pitting ranked teams against one another is Oklahoma State against Texas, a uh, 12 against the 25. But Kentucky against Georgia is the marquee game this week. And as good as Kentucky is, I don't see them being able to score and stay with Georgia. They're going to be more prepared than Arkansas was because Kentucky's been building for this for a little while. And they've gotten, you know, they've exercised the demons by beating uh, Florida earlier this year. They aren't beating Georgia. They just aren't. 
I think it's pretty unlikely that they beat Georgia. I think it's possible that they can hold Georgia to like 17 points. It's going to be really tough to get 17 themselves, especially when I don't know what the updated stats are with the games from Saturday. But going into this past weekend, do you know where Kentucky ranked in turnover margin out of 130 teams in the country? Uh, two? Last. Kentucky had the worst turnover margin in the country. Oh, I meant second And somehow <laughs> was undefeated. And I don't think that's that doesn't bode well if you're playing Georgia. If you're like, yeah, I mean, we, we, we turn it over some, but our offense makes up for it. That seems like a really, really bad recipe against the Bulldogs. You're flirting with disaster there at that point. Yeah. So that is the marquee game of the week. College game day will be there. It's going to be a magnificent but scene. Hey, Kentucky wins. I mean, that's a big ass. But if Kentucky wins, we're one step closer to a Kentucky Wake Forest, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State 14 playoff. <laughs> yes, we are, and we will look forward to that. Uh, yeah, since yeah, since or you know, Cincinnati, Iowa. Um, yeah, Wake Forest. Oh man. Oh my. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? I would love that. I don't think it's going to play out, but I would absolutely love that. I got one last thing here, and then if you have anything else, um, we can certainly get to it here. But uh, in the battle that I think captivated the most avant, uh, uh, ardent football fans, college football fans last week. The you, biggest sickos of all. Yes. UConn at UMass. Fantastic uh, pitting the two worst teams in college football without question. UMass prevails 27-13. to 13. It's their first win in like two years. So congratulations to them. Uh, they win 27-13. to 13. They're, they're going crazy there in Amherst, Massachusetts. And so, A, did you follow this game at all? Uh, and what, what did you think of it? I didn't see any of it. I saw score updates a little bit. I don't remember what time it was. I don't remember which wing. I think but, it was the late. It was like two thirty or something like that. Okay, yeah. So that would have been when I was watching Iowa and Penn State, I guess. But I mean, it's good for UMass. I don't wish anybody to ever go uh, winless. I think it's going to be tough for UConn to get a win. I mean, I think they, we talked about it before. Is this Princeton or Yale that they play? That was going to be part two of my question here uh, coming up to you is that they play UConn plays Yale this Saturday on CBS Sports Network. It is in the early morning. It's 11 a.m. And Yale uh, Football Power Index on ESPN predicts Yale has a 59.1% chance of beating UConn. Oh, my God. UConn's so bad. When, when, when an Ivy League school is more likely to be you, that's not good. I, I, I mean, and, we, and I'm stealing this relegate? joke from somewhere else, stacking. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, I didn't come up with this, but I feel it's worth repeating. I mean, we've seen Yale take down presidents in the banking system. We don't think they can take down some shitty UConn team. <laughs> I mean, can we just, can we send UConn down to FCS level? And even FCS might be too good for them. They have to go right. This is, they can't keep. They're so bad. They can't keep. It's like the same with UMass though too. Can we just push them down to FCS and maybe bump North Dakota State and South Dakota State to FBS or you know? Oh, or just, no, I off the top of my head, I'm changing this. This is a this is an on the fly audible right now. Every year, Utah or not Utah. Sorry, apologies to Utah. You're much better than I do with those two teams. Every year, UConn and UMass have to play. Yep. The winner is an FBS team guaranteed for one year. 
the losers drops down to FCS that year. This is our first. This is the way we're shoving. I don't like Europeans. I don't like soccer in general, but this is the way we're doing the European soccer yes. promotion and relegation. Yes. We're starting it with these two. The winner, the winner's an FBS team, gets an FBS schedule with FBS payouts and all that money. Yep. So that's their so if you say, Well, why do they care? It's like they'll get more money if they win, so of course they'll try and win. Yes. And then losers an FCS team for the year. I absolutely agree. You have to go the English Premier League route with that. You have to go with relegation. And I think then you would have to set like a, a certain standard here. So like if, uh, say like a Akron, I know Akron was very bad for a while. Or, you know, like San Jose State, you know, previously was just terrible. Hell, I mean, Arizona and Vanderbilt look like crap. I mean, maybe we need to include some of these teams as well. But for sure, UConn and UMass... I agree. The, the loser gets has to go to FCS for a year. And then just you, you just keep playing and see which team goes to FCS each year. You have to do it. Literally the winning team, especially if it's the home team that wins, can play the na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye song because you're sending them back down to FCS. Exactly. I love the plan. I love the idea, and it needs to happen. It absolutely does because this is just – it's embarrassing at this point. It's bad for the sport. It really is. And you feel bad for the kids. It's not the kids' fault. I mean, they're trying their as hard as they can, but they're they're just. I feel bad for the coaches too, because Edsel yes. like was like, "I'll retire at the end of the year," and then he retired like a week later, and it's gone. So you've got all these, you know, two core coordinators and position coaches that know they're not going to be there next year. That are like, "I'm we're all literally dead men walking mm-hmm. at this job," and are just like, "Well, we got to keep doing this though because." If we truly give up and don't try, then it'll be harder for us to get a job back. And so you got to go back to this terrible team and try to draw up ways to get wins. Well, don't you think at least UMass knows that they're not going to be very good? UConn actually had some level of expectation with Randy Edsel because they've had success in the past. I mean, UMass, to their everlasting credit, they are playing a very what I would say is a challenging schedule, far more challenging than UConn because UMass has played at Pitt. They've played home again, or they've played against Boston college against Eastern Michigan at coastal Carolina against Toledo and against UConn so far, their remaining schedule at Florida state at Liberty home against Rhode Island, home against Maine at army at New Mexico state. So Without, yeah, I mean, not a good schedule, but for a really bad FBS team, that's not an easy schedule. I mean, Rhode Island and Maine are games that UMass probably should win. you got to win at least one of those games. UConn, just for sake of comparison, so, I mean, at a number of decent teams there that, that UMass had, UConn has been at Fresno State. Okay, that's fine. They lose to Holy Cross. That's, that's a bad one. They're playing. Oh, I they lost a Holy Cross too. My God. They're they're playing Yale. So those are your two FCS teams this year. At Army, that's a, I guess a good team there. They're, they played home against Purdue. I I would love for it's like when Minnesota had to go out to Colorado and beat the snot out of the Buffaloes thirty to nothing. Purdue beats UConn forty nine nothing. Imagine saying like we have to travel out to stores to play UConn and like is this truly an like a are, are they paying us for this game? I mean, how do we get a home and home game with them? But the UConn, you know, plays Wyoming at Vanderbilt, uh, home against Middle Tennessee State, at Clemson, at UCF, and then home against Houston. So by far their easy portion of the schedule 
is up until uh, Middle Tennessee State, up until like October 22nd. Then the last three games, pretty challenging, not going to lie. What were the last three games again? At Clemson, at Clemson, November 13th, at UCF, November 20th, and home against Houston, November 27th. That's pretty bad. They might they might lose that by a it's possible they could be outscored two hundred and ten to nothing in those three games combined. Well Clemson can't score offensively, so that might be the only chance. They can't score against most teams. I think they'd be alright scoring against UConn. Right. If anything, I would assume they could return punts for touchdowns or, or block punts. Right now the matchup predictor for Middle Tennessee State, which would seemingly be the only other like Possible win for uh, for for UConn if they don't beat Yale. You you want to guess what the uh, the predictor says? The percent chance that uh, Is, am I guessing the score or the percent chance they have to win? The percent chance they have to win. I am going to guess that it has them as like a nineteen percent chance to win. UConn, you're saying, right? Yeah. Try dropping that by ten percent. Nine percent, nine point seven percent chance of wow. being middle, middle Tennessee State. Uh, middle Tennessee State currently two and four. This game is being played in stores, so it's or East Hartford, whatever. Uh, it's being played at home. It's not UConn. being played in Tennessee. Exactly. This it it's just so bad, so bad. Uh, we maybe talked about this before, I don't remember, but uh, Bill Connolly, the guy who used to work for SB Nation and now works for ESPN yes. yep. and does advanced analytics or whatever. Yep. I haven't seen an update in a while because that's all under an ESPN paywall. Unless he tweets out, I don't see it. But that, like, there was a point earlier this year that UConn was on pace to be the second worst FBS team in the history of college football. And who, I don't know if they're still on that pace or not. Who was who the worst? Do you happen to recall? It was some team from a long time ago. I, I don't remember specifically who it was, but it was some team from like the 30s, 40s, or 50s, or something like oh. that. And the big thing was he said he didn't think that they would stay that far down after they they lost a close game to Wyoming. Well, yep. like not that they still lost, but by losing close, that that jumped them in the ranking some. So I... I'm assuming they're not going to finish as the worst FBS team ever now. And and losing and, and, and close even though to UMass is bad, they still only lost by two touchdowns. They didn't lose by like forty, but but they're they're bad enough that they should not be playing at the FBS level. What I think would be fun to do is do a playoff of the worst teams in each conference. And I think we've talked. Maybe I didn't talk about. Maybe I talked about this with Krenz once. This is what I think they should do: is you should have like figure out who the four worst teams in the country are yep. and do a playoff. But it's not the winning team that advances. It's the losing teams that advance and have to play again to actually find out who the worst team in the country is. Mm-hmm. And if you lose and you're the worst team in the country, you're not allowed to fire the coach that year. You're stuck with like, well, we got to find out a way to make this work. Athletic department. Well, that's what I wanted. Or do. you could also do it with the relegation too, just like with the UConn and UMass. They're automatically sent down. You, you. Uh, that's true. You could do that. I think that would, because a that would mean like oh the kids are trying the the university the coach it it would just a lot more would be on the line. Well, let's say we took the worst teams out of each uh, conference and just had a 
Oh, that that would be interesting. I'll have to look into well, that. Technically, you wouldn't like if we're talking the Power Fives. They wouldn't get sent down to FCS. You like everyone except the Big Twelve and like Conference USA. As much as I would, everyone love to... else that it's like there's a geographic conference between an F, between a Power Five conference and a Group of Five conference. Yeah, that's already set up perfect. So it would just be like, oh yeah. As you know, much as guess, I, guess what, Northwestern? You're dropping down to the Mac this year. As you want to win? You got to want to get back up here. You got to win the Mac. Next. Right. As much as I would love to send Arizona and Vanderbilt down, um, yeah, maybe we can't do that. However, speaking of Vanderbilt, well, like here, the way Arizona's playing, if you send them down to the Mountain West, they might only be there for one year and then get sent down to whatever. You know, oh, I don't know okay. It'd so, be the Big Sky or I whatever gotcha. conference in the FCS. So, like, so Vanderbilt, we would send them down to the Sun Belt. They would go down to the Sun Belt, and again, I don't know if Vanderbilt, I mean, clearly I do not think Vanderbilt would win the Sun Belt next year to get back up, and wouldn't be stunned if there's three weeks left in the season. In 2022, and we're like, oh yeah, Vanderbilt might get relegated even farther down. Big and Ten next play in, play in, like, I don't know what conference that would be in FCS. But. Big Ten would go to the MAC, and so on and so forth. Okay, I like that. I like that idea. By the way, speaking of Vanderbilt, they have played two SEC games. Care to guess what the combined score is in their two SEC games? One was against Georgia. I, I don't need to know the score. I'll, I'll guess, but who, who else did they play besides Georgia? Florida this last week. Oh, that's right. And I didn't see what the final score was either. I'm still going to guess that the combined score is like, I'm going to give them a this is going to sound terrible. I'm actually giving them the benefit of the doubt, like predicting this awful, terrible two-game score. But I'm going to guess it was like 117 to nine. Uh, well, no, 104 to nothing. So I gave them a little bit too much credit uh, defensively, but not enough offensively. They have scored zero points against Florida and Georgia. Now, granted, it's Florida and Georgia. Um, but giving up 104. Yikes. That's bad. It's very bad. Very, very bad. Uh, with that, uh, anything else, Charlie, before we need to... Uh... Well, stack it. I feel like we at least we're very briefly have to talk about how my Cornhuskers and your Gophers are playing. Oh, and I don't yeah. have the slightest clue what's going to happen in that game. Well, I'll tell you right you now. You can tell me either team wins by three. You can tell me either team wins by 14. I don't have a clue because... Nebraska's very mercurial and bipolar this year. To a degree, your Gophers are also kind of bipolar this year. I feel so bad. Cheering for the Gophers is always tough. Like Cheering for a Minnesota sports team is tough. But Minnesota has been really um, on the wrong side of things this year with Mo Ibrahim being out. Uh, you know, in t- what the and suffering that season. running backs out too now. Yes, I heard, right? yes, Potts but is yeah, Potts is out, and I mean he wasn't Mo Ibrahim, but like if Mo is playing in this game or playing this season, the Gophers they don't lose to Bowling Green, and they look far better against Purdue and all this and that. Like they're four and one at at worst, and I would say if Mo's playing, they beat Nebraska, but with Mo out, with Potts out. I Nebraska wins on Saturday. I would be stunned if Minnesota wins. I mean, have you seen how Nebraska also likes to turn it over late in tight games? I, I, I have, um, but their defense is playing good. I, I, I just I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I see Nebraska. I will also counter with that. Your Gophers are coming off a bye week, if I remember right. 
They are. Nebraska played in week zero and hasn't had a bye week yet, so they're on like eight consecutive games mm-hmm. and basically just played like a. I don't know if it's as bad as like Wisconsin three or four years ago when they would just beat the snot out of teams where even if score wise it wasn't like physically beat you up. Yep. I don't know if this was as bad as that, but I think there's also going to be like very sore Nebraska players after you know playing a very physical game against a tough Michigan team too. So. More than likely. Uh, more than likely. Yep, it but, is going to be a very odd game. I will give Nebraska the win, though. I mean, I hope you're right. But, anywho, uh, anything else we need to get to? I don't think I have anything else. I, the only other thing I would say is I think it's very unlikely this next weekend is going to be nearly as good as this past one. You know, it's like if you ever play a game on your phone or in an arcade or on a console or computer, mm-hmm. rarely do you have your best high score ever and then immediately turn around and have the very next best high score you've ever had right after that, too. Right. Usually it's like, oh, I wasn't quite as hot the next time. So it's possible that there might, there might be the correction this next week of like, oh, yeah, there were like four close games and none of them were with right teams and all outs. Potentially. But, I mean, that's the beauty of college football. We just we think we know so what's going to happen one sure. week. And in, who would have ever thought we would have had the week that we had last Saturday. Charlie, I always appreciate the time, my friend. I'll get you on again here soon. Uh, our games will return here uh, shortly as we get deeper into the month of October. Uh, Bowl Bound or not, we'll be returning, so it'll be a lot of fun. But I uh, always appreciate the time. You have a good week, and enjoy the week of college football coming up. Thanks, buddy. You too. Thank you, Charlie. Charlie Hildebrand from the Northwest Iowa Review. Always appreciate his time and efforts as always uh, great stuff there great college football conversation here uh, a lot happened and a lot still can be determined uh, we will um, switch from college football to the pond and let's uh, to the rink let's drop the puck on the NHL season see if uh, we can get Marcus Traxler on with some of his thoughts if not we'll get him next week but also have some thoughts on the NHL season coming up here next on the Sports Block Podcast, uh, Charlie Hildebrand can be found on Twitter at CE Hildebrand, at Nathan Stack, well, at ND Stacken on Twitter, Nathan Stacken on Facebook. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. As always, this podcast is available on podcast.com. We talk hockey next and wrap up with some picks for week six in the NFL. That's all coming up here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com. We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and it's been a little while since we've talked to our good friend from the Mitchell Daily Republic, Marcus Traxler, but it's a great time to bring him in as our resident hockey expert. As the NHL season has started, the puck has dropped on in a couple of different ways, both with new TV networks, which we've talked about in the past and we'll talk about here now, uh, but also with the season dropping. Marcus, how are we doing? I'm good, Stacking. How are you? Doing good, thank you. Uh, hopefully, my voice—I I should say—I'm you know dealing with a little bit of a, a cold or something here, so hopefully the voice will hold up here. Before we get into the hockey, though, Travis wanted me to ask you about how pickleball is going, so I need to start off the bat uh, with that. Yeah, uh, it, it is going. Uh, I don't know what, what he what he said to you, but he didn't. Uh, he, he just told me to ask you about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was probably maybe in April or May. Uh, I was at the grocery store, and uh, Travis and his, his fiance Melissa, uh, kind of cornered me, and, and they said, well, do you have any inter- interest in playing pickleball? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, not really, but yeah, I'll try it. And uh, 
and uh, tried it and played a little bit, and I, I think it's fair to say I'm kind of an addict uh, at this point. Okay, um, very good. I probably, uh, you know, it started out just kind of playing once a week because uh, that that was sort of what worked best in my schedule. But right now I have my mornings kind of free. I'm doing sports stuff uh, at night and, and in the afternoon. So uh, in Mitchell, there's basically daily pickleball at 9 a.m. So I'm probably the youngest person there by 20 years, but I'm playing, I'm playing with them. And uh, then Wednesday night, you know, playing with some, some after work uh, folks. And yeah, it, it's growing. Uh, it, it feels like it's growing in Mitchell. Uh, we're sort of kicking around the idea of, of trying to fundraise for, you know, legitimate courts. Right now, we're just sort of playing on tennis courts. And as we get yep. into the winter, we'll try to find some indoor space to, to play as much as possible. But yeah, it's just kind of a, I think it, it probably has a reputation of being sort of being a, 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 per, a sport for old people. But uh, you know, we have people of all ages, and it, it's really just uh, it's a uh, easy sport to learn. There's not much of a learning curve, um, and you know, you, you'll play with people that are a lot better than you. Uh, you know, certainly people that are older than me that are better than me, mm-hmm. and you'll play, you'll play with people that are, are learning uh, for the first time. And so it's it's just fun. You you meet people that way. You know, it's very common to play doubles, and so it's very common to play with people that you've never played with before, and you meet them. So. Uh, maybe the maybe the highlight of my 2021, at least as far as a you know recreational away from work, away from family type thing, uh, a major achievement for me is just uh, you know having this uh, hobby, and it's you know only only growing and only you know becoming more important uh, to me and and you know, in Mitchell because we've kind of got a group form now, and we're we're trying to you know, drive the bus to potentially get uh, you know real courts in Mitchell. That is super cool. Now, had you played a bunch of tennis before growing up? No, you know, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Lee Center, Minnesota, and we had really nice tennis courts. Uh, had a, had a, a decent enough program for the, the town, uh, the size of town, you know, 2,500 people, but did not. I didn't really play other than just sort of screwing around there, maybe hitting the ball around a couple, a couple times, but I was not a tennis player growing up. And uh, you don't really have to be a tennis player. It, it's kind of a cross, I would say, between – uh, badminton tennis and table tennis sure. and yeah. Uh, yeah you don't need to have any real tennis experience uh, they make the paddles in a way that I mean it's you don't need to really you can't hit it like a tennis racket and sometimes I kind of do uh, but you it, it's it's kind of built for you know any sort of game and uh, you know there's there's some you can you can spend as much or as little as you want on, on a pickleball racket this, this summer as well and yeah it's just kind of fun to see you know what you know, the different equipment and that sort of thing, and and uh, but yeah, you don't have to have tennis experience, and and you know within a few few nights you're gonna you're gonna pick it up. So. I do remember playing pickleball in seventh and eighth grade gym class. That's that was my first exposure to it. It's pretty much the only exposure I got. My my parents have played it a little bit here every once in a while. Um, what would you say, like in terms of from when you started to now? How uh, how has your skill set uh, improved dramatically since then? A lot better. I mean, I, I think there's probably occasions where I, I, I still have my fair share of shots where I'm like, what were you doing? You know, you, you hit it into the net or you hit it one or whatever. But, uh, you know, really a lot of pickleball is played at the net, and that's where you get these kind of really fast volleys. That the play is really quick. I've gotten a lot better at that. You know, you sort of just learn to keep your paddle up because then it's always kind of in a position – to play it and mm-hmm. yeah it's gotten a lot better and i've definitely noticed in the last few weeks when i'm playing you know, potentially three four times a week 
that I'm getting a lot better. So that's that's cool. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I can see that this is going somewhere. So yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know. It just seems like one of those things. I, I like to play golf too, but I'm not. I can tell I'm not getting a lot better at golf. Yeah, and I don't I probably don't play enough for it, but. You know, a lot like golf, pickleball is one of those sports you can play for a long time. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not terribly strenuous on your body. The, wor- the worst part is batting over to pick up the ball when it's on the ground. So, yeah. uh, you know, other than that, it's it's one of those where the more you play, the better you're going to get. And, yeah, it's it's cool to see other people have gotten better. Travis and I joke that there's a guy, I think this is his first year. He's, I mean, he's probably in his 70s. Uh, and I think, you know, it's his first year and we both call him the rookie of the year because like if, if, if our league gave out a rookie of the year, this guy's just incredibly better. Uh, he's just, I mean, he smashes it and he's, he's got every shot in the bag and he doesn't really look like much of an athlete, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So very cool. Well, you know what, if we, if we're down and we have some time for the, at the summit league tournament this year, it'd be cool to, to play a little pickleball here, um, so yeah, that might be something after yeah, looking. I know, I know Sioux Falls. I mean, they they're they're pretty crazy about it. I mean, uh, they've got it all over town and at the Pentagon and stuff. So that's maybe my goal here in the winter is maybe uh, once or twice get over there and, and see what it's like over there. So very cool, very cool. Well, from the pickleball to the to the hockey rink here, we have we are at the beginning of a new era in the NHL with the NHL. I, I guess it's the the redawning of an era back on ESPN, but a, a new era of hockey on TNT. ESPN carried the first two games of the NHL season on Tuesday night. Uh, so Sean McDonough and uh, Ray Ferraro called the uh, Pittsburgh-Tampa Bay game, and then you had Steve Berthume, uh not Steve Berthume, what am I talking about? John Butchagross, where did Steve Berthume? Come. Watch a lot of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. Right? I, apparently, I mean Arizona is really close to Las Vegas. I have no idea where that came from. John Butchagross, uh, Brian Boucher, and then AJ Malesko called uh, uh, Seattle and Vegas. And I have to say, I Twitter wasn't all that kind to Sean McDonough, and it kind of like, oh, you're kind of putting us to sleep here, and I and I got that. Um, but I don't know how much hockey Sean has called in the past, but overall, I think they did a, a good job and it's, you know, it's the first of many games that they'll be calling, uh, during the duration of this contract that the NHL has with ESPN. But right from the get go of that Vegas, uh, Seattle game, uh, John is great. I mean, I loved what, you know, Brian Boucher in the, uh, in the glass inside the glass last year for NBC and the chemistry that he had with Eddie Olchek and Kenny Albert and then AJ Malesko was good I just thought that that the chemistry that those three had even if they haven't done a lot of games together like practice or whatever you could just feel it you could feel the excitement much more than with Sean and Ray but overall I mean from the the opening piece I don't know if you saw it that uh it was the videos on Twitter um I think the ESPN app about the the song, you know, the the iconic music, the the, the NHL on ESPN theme. Um, between that and just the overall production level of it, I thought it was a very good first night overall for for ESPN. Certainly room to improve, but overall not bad. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that that this is sort of our lead off topic because I think if you live in in the U.S. Um, and you're not somebody who, you know, is involved in the 
the formation of the teams. You're not a GM or a player or anything like that. Like for the fans, this is the biggest story I think entering the season. Yes. Um, aside from playing 82 games now, and, and aside from you know full crowds and that sort of thing, we've kind of gotten used to that in all the sports. This is going to affect the way people watch the games, and uh, you know, in such a major way. So um, I mentioned to you before we got going. I, I didn't. I didn't see uh, all of both games. I saw the end of the uh, crack and. And Golden Knights, and you know, I mean, first of all, just awesome to see the Kraken on the the ice. Yes. Jerseys look as good as we expected. Oh, the jerseys are great. Jerseys are great. Yeah, and and you know, I you, you mentioned the announcing crews. I don't know if there's maybe a more uh, telling indicator of this sort of being a new era than having you mentioned AJ Mlesko um, and Emily Kaplan between the glass. Yes. And the first. Yes. Yep. I, I didn't mean to leave her yeah. out. Yeah, you got two women, uh, and it's just a stark contrast from uh, Pierre Maguire, who I think people got sick and tired of. And uh, yeah. so we're, we're not dealing with we're not dealing with that. Obviously, Brian Boucher uh, is terrific, and um, he's going to be a guy that's going to be worth having upstairs. And, yeah, I mean, from a play-by-play front, I think it's it's pretty clear that uh, their top two are going to be John Butch Gross and Steve Levy. And obviously, mm-hmm. Steve Levy got Monday Night Football. Um he did do know, he he did do the production uh, or like the the intermission and the in the pregame stuff. He was on the on the set with uh, with Mark Messier, Chris Chelios, and Barry Melrose. Yeah, and I, I think um, you know exactly what you said. It's it's the first game. It's going to build. Um, I, I do believe Sean McDonough did hockey, but I think it's been a long time. Uh, maybe even did it in the first set with with ESPN. So um, it's just going to be. Uh, I think there's a little bit of excitement for you know, TV nerds like us, sports media nerds like us, where you got mm-hmm. new graphics, you got new announced teams. Uh, both of these these uh, networks have sort of vowed to innovate and stuff. We'll see how much you know that that really involves. Um, we're seeing TNTs. They've got the uh, the power play clock in the middle of the ice, similar to what they do with basketball with the shot clock. So that's that's a little interesting, but. And not necessarily earth-shattering stuff. So, um, you know, it's just a major, major shift. I think one that people are excited about and see where it's going. And, you know, the one thing that really struck me, uh, you know, probably a month or two ago was when the schedule kind of came out with ESPN. And I don't think people are necessarily, I don't think people, when this was announced, necessarily understood how many of these games are, are going to be on ESPN Plus, where mm-hmm. there's going to be the production of, what you would normally see on TV, but it's not going to be on TV. And then obviously the other big news was that ESPN plus is basically taking over for NHL center ice. So if you're not an out of market, you know, fan, you can watch all your games and and it's going to be a lot cheaper than what center ice was. So, um, you are, you know, living in Montana and you want to follow the wild, you can. Um, so, you know, every hockey game, I'm an ESPN plus subscriber, any hockey game I want to watch, I I can pull it up. Um, I wonder how many people, are going to take advantage of that? How many people are going to know that these national broadcasts are on there? I did the math when the schedule came out, but there's very few games in the first few months of the season that are on ESPN or ESPN2 proper. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like five games between now and, you know, maybe maybe December. I, I'm not sure. So it's, it's going to be a stark, I think, adjustment rather than just flipping on to NBCSN a couple times a week and you know you're going to see two games. And yeah. so that's... That's going to be the difference, I think. TNT, we know there's, they're kind of going to take that spot and have the, the weekly doubleheader. But I think that will be an adjustment. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, streaming has become such a, a large part of society and how we consume, you know, television. And 
and and whatnot because you have like Discovery Plus, you have AMC yep. Plus, you have Paramount Plus, you have all of these these streaming networks and stuff. So hopefully ESPN or hopefully people hockey fans will take advantage of ESPN Plus, and hopefully there will be a good market for it. Hopefully there will be some good viewership. Um, I guess the, the one of the big complaints I would have with ESPN was that they didn't have the shot tracker like they would show shots every once in a while but it wasn't part of the scoreboard and it doesn't need to be something extravagant and in large unlike you know what fox sports is doing with the baseball playoffs which i just can't stand like yeah. it, it it takes up a corner of the te- of the television screen you just don't need that large of a graphic but i would have liked to, I, I would like to see espn keep track of the shots um more so than what they were doing yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it's kind of a uh, I would call it kind of a personal preference thing, where I don't think the shots were really even kept on NBC uh, broadcasts until maybe four or five years ago. I mean, I don't. That's a relatively new advancement. I, I know some regional networks maybe had it longer, but mm-hmm. I think people have kind of come to expect it now. And uh, you know, I, I think I'm probably in the camp of like I can live without it. I don't need it on the screen all the time. And I, I guess I understand that. Uh, maybe it was in the second game, ESPN would, they'd have it up there and then they'd take it down, you know, so it wouldn't be, yep. it wasn't on the screen all the time, but I think it's just kind of like one of those things where it's, it's like the first and 10 line, it's like the shot clock on, on the bottom of the screen in basketball, uh, the play clock in a lot of sports, you just expect it to be there, and yes. you expect it to be right, and it's part of watching uh, sports in the 21st century, so um, I certainly understand saying like, hey, it's not that big of an ask. Let's let's have it. And I, I would guess that by the end of the year, ESPN will have it all the time. I would not. hope. Yeah. And I... so, um, yeah, that's uh, that was one of the other uh, you know sort of complaints I heard. I I I understand it. It doesn't particularly bother me, but I I get it. On the TNT side of it so far, we have Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchek who are calling it. Keith Jones is down on ice level. I, I wish th- maybe NBC trademarked inside the glass so they can't take that phrase anymore. You know, now they just have to say ice level. Uh, you know, how about say between the benches or something like that? That would be uh, fine. But Keith Jones is in there. You know, we don't have Mike Milbury, thank God. We don't have Pierre Maguire, which is great. Uh, but the the star-studded nature of the the pregame, postgame, the, the intermission, the, the studios is, I think, incredibly powerful. I mean, for TNT to have the great one, Wayne Gretzky in there, Anson Carter coming over from NBC is huge. Rick Tockett, I mean, he, I mean he's, he's a fine guy. I don't even know who the other guy is along with Liam McHugh. And I didn't know that Liam McHugh actually had left NBC for... Turner, it's a little surprising to me because TNT is only going to have a, one night a week that they're doing games. I was a little surprised that they were able to pry Liam away from NBC. But overall, and then again, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago with ESPN having Mark Messier and Chris Chelios along with Barry Melrose and Steve Levy and whoever. I mean, they'll throw Linda Cohn in there a little bit. Kevin Weeks is, is there. I mean... And I know we talked about this when the announcements kind of came up, but now just seeing it, it's like, holy cow, these guys are, like, these networks are really going all in on the talent in order to try and attract those viewers. Well, the one thing I would say, uh, I guess it's sort of a two-part thing, is one, they are the big names. They are the names that you 
you know, maybe you would expect to be analysts, uh, you know, from a, a certain generation in the past. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's the one part that like, if you're going to do this, uh, you get the big names. Now I have my doubts that these guys are really going to be, are going to cut through the noise. I mean, uh, if, if, if we're looking at, uh, Wayne Gretzky to be Charles Barkley, and it's ironic that they were both on, on the pregame on Wednesday, Charles but, needs to be a part of every, uh, he needs to be a part of the show every week in some capacity. <laughs> I don't think he wants to work any harder. He barely wants to do the Thursday nights on That's, on true. That's so, very true. Um, you know, but my my thing is like, I don't know that Wayne Gretzky is going to be a great analyst. I don't know that I, I don't uh, I don't know that Mark Messier is going to be a great uh, intermission guy. Right. Uh, it's yep. 2021. How many people are flipping away at intermission? How many people are going to their phones, checking Twitter? That's where that I think makes a difference. Uh, yeah. Paul Bissonnette is the other guy on the TNT thing, and he's he's sort of famous for his uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. So that actually skews a little younger. Yeah. Um, so that's maybe the one for TNT that that maybe I don't listen to the podcast, but that might uh, cut through there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is I, I, what I like is that it's not aside from Keith Jones, and I guess if if that's the one guy that's got to see through, I'll live with it. But it's not just a bunch of retreads from from NBC. Um, you know, Barry Melrose has been around for a long time. It makes sense that he's in the fold uh, here with with uh, with uh, ESPN. And, yeah. you know, you go down the line, Anson Carter, he's earned his spot. Kevin Weeks has earned his spot. Yeah. I think those are fresh voices that deserve to have a, a crack at this. We'll see how these other folks uh, work out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting. I mean, Liam McHugh, I'm sure Turner will find him uh, stuff to do. And uh, I'm not worried about him. I'm, I'm glad. You know, I think the writing's on the wall. Not only did they get rid of uh, NB or get rid of the rights to the NHL, they're getting rid of NBCSN. And we've yep. talked before about how little sense that makes. And yeah, Liam Le- Le- McHugh, I guess you, you're not going to be doing the Olympics. Uh, you had a role on Sunday Night Football. Um, you kind, know, I guess. Kind of taken away with people. Maria Taylor joining NBC. Right. And I guess that kind of means, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I need to look for something else. And, you know, uh, too bad the nepotism is gonna gonna push out uh, Liam McHugh in favor of Jack Collinsworth. That's a shame. Yes, because, you know, <laughs> um, he's got so a smile I'm just sure. like his dad too, Jack Collinsworth. Oh, it's just a he smug talks, smile. You want to punch him? It's it's terrible. So I'm I'm glad Liam McHugh is gonna keep doing hockey. He's he's obviously uh, grown an affinity for it. I think it'll work out for him. I I do do I I do as well. And I think you could probably get him on like a, I don't know March Madness. You know I'm, I'm yeah. sure. They can find some other stuff for him, as you mentioned. And, and you're right. We don't know if Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messier are going to be. Ironically, they were teammates, you know, in, in New York for a little bit, and now, uh, of course, they're on opposite networks. We don't know if they'll be great analysts, but at least they're trying something. Well, and, and here's a here's a flip. I mean, your TNT. You've never had the rights to hockey before. You need to make a splash. Absolutely. I'm sure they felt like, okay, we need to do something here that's going to get people's attention. The greatest goal scorer of all time, that will get people's attention. Yep. And hopefully, I, I kind of saw it a little bit uh, in, in one of the intermissions on Wednesday. You know, he, he kind of you know tried to relate to, there was a guy for the Capitals who scored his first goal in his first game tonight. And he basically said, like, hey, it took me four games. Like, you're doing it in game one, you're pretty special. So, that's, you know, I think he's got to relate, you know, what it's like to be a player. That The clip that went viral was uh, Charles Barkley and, and him talking about uh, fighting Neil Broughton and how Neil Broughton had a perm and, and how he lost a fight to him or whatever. Like, you have to have some levity. Hopefully Wayne Gretzky's ready to play play ball, play puck, I guess, uh, with, with having a few laughs. And if he is, 
I think he's got a chance to be successful. I would also say don't expect him to be Charles Barkley because there's only one. Oh, yeah. Yep, and I don't want him to be Charles Barkley. I want him to just use his expertise, use his knowledge, use his love of the game to help promote it and help break it down uh, for fans. I think that's the best part. And uh, also, Charles Barkley not knowing what five-hole is. I mean, that that's great. Great <laughs> well, stuff. The other, the other thing I would say, and, and we're already seeing it here, is just how much the, the relevance of being on ESPN is meaning to the NHL. You're on the front page of the website. You get talked about during SportsCenter. Uh, you're, you're just you're getting the attention. And yep. we, for the last 17 years, uh, they've been a backburner sport for ESPN. Yes. And so for the NHL and growing new fans and the things you were just talking about, being on ESPN, that's maybe the most important part. It doesn't matter who's calling the games. It doesn't matter what else is happening. They're talking about sports. Or they're talking about the NHL in the A block of Sports Center. That's important. There's a clip from yesterday's or from Monday, Monday Tuesday's show uh, that Max Kellerman does on ESPN. Um, forgetting the name of it now, but he had doesn't, Barry Melrose. Doesn't matter. Probably sucks. Right. But he had Barry Mel. It's better than Get Up with Mike yeah. Greenberg. Uh, <laughs> but any like he had. Asked Barry Melrose, well, what what's the storyline you're looking forward to the most? And Barry Melrose, you know, because I, I get where Barry's coming from. Like, the NHL was treated like shit, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, by ESPN for all those years that they didn't have the rights. And he just kind of retorted back, like, well, I'm just, you know, looking forward to talking about this in the A block with you, Max, on your show every day. I mean, the... It's just, you know, for Max to talk about, you know, we're going to have Stephen A. Smith talking hockey, which is going to be uh, a comedy in and of itself. But the fact that they will be talking about the NHL on their shows, and as you mentioned, you know, all the, like, the front page uh, headlines and, and images and stuff, that is huge for the NHL, even even just for opening day. They're going to have that throughout the season on ESPN now. Yeah, and, and ESPN has a financial interest to make it work. And I will bring this all the way back to a point you were bringing up before. I did see the, the theme music thing. Uh, our friend of the podcast, David Shotkirk, messaged me about five times on Tuesday night to make sure I watched it. And I, I messaged him back. I'm like, I finally had the six minutes to watch it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just, just, I mean, obviously, uh, for, for fans of a certain age, and I think we're, uh, we're in that category now, uh, you remember the, the theme music. Uh, mm-hmm. and it is iconic with the NHL, and it's great to have that back as well. Um, you know, it's you, you sort of build a an identity, build a brand, and it's hard to really imagine hockey on ESPN without that music. Exactly. Just like if the NBA were to return to NBC, you better have that 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 theme music there. And I know Krenz loves it. Like He thinks that that's his favorite theme music, and it's right up there for me, but... When I get to, when I hear the NHL on ESPN thing, I mean it's just chills. It's just like that that is that is the best theme, arguably the best theme music out there. I I think I'm uh, I think my number one is the March Madness theme, uh, and obviously they've tweaked it a little bit over sure. the years, but you know sort of that uh, that late '90s, 2000s on CBS. Uh, that's that's my number one. I, I would put I put the hockey on ESPN number two. And there's and I, I would maybe I've always loved the, the college football uh, both really uh, on on CBS that's yes. iconic and that there's been a sort of a similar outcry with ESPN like you know uh, you got to move the music to ESPN when when the SEC moves there or whatever uh, that's that's great music obviously ESPN has had has had it for college football as well 
So those are some of the ones I like. Absolutely. Um, I'm in full agreement it, with you. I, 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 you and I, we, we grew up uh, Vikings fans. We grew up NFC kids. So the Fox NFL theme, I think, is kind of like iconic stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, kinda, I feel like I kind of take that for granted because I've it's, it's we've had it forever. Well, and they, um, and they use it for everything now, for baseball and, and everything. That's the, part, that's the part that stinks, yeah. So... I, I will say that the NFL primetime music is oh, yeah. separate. I mean, that that's in a whole category in and of itself. Yeah, I, I put that as, as like highlight music, and to me, that would be number one. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. There's a there's a there's somebody who put together like a playlist on YouTube, and it's like probably 45 minutes long. It's got all those songs in there. Oh, I've listened like, to it. I've listened to it multiple times. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> Somebody's got a comment under under it, you know, that says, you know, this is the. This is the you know the Brown Steelers game you know and, yes. and it's funny because you read the comment you know exactly who he's talking about like we all watched it you know yep. and, and so yeah it's funny so. yep it's great stuff um, to the season itself now uh, the the big storyline I think apart from you know ESPN and TNT uh, broadcasting the games would be the the potential for a three peat from Tampa Bay. They didn't look great in game one. A lot of emotion with that banner getting up. You know, they, whatever. It's one game. But this Tampa Bay team is fully loaded here. The expectations that they have are very high, but they are certainly well within reach given the depth that this team has. And I think they have a very good shot at a three-peat. Yeah, I think really it just comes down to can they get to the playoffs healthy? Uh, what will be their identity when they get there? They've done just a great job the last two years of really honing in on that, playing as a unit. Um, you know, really the contributions from every level of the team, and that's been to me just a major part of it. And they've dealt with some injuries and gotten by with it just fine. So, you know, one major factor is they've lost. They lost basically that entire third line that was important. Then last year they all kind of broke up and got money elsewhere. So that'll be something to watch, but. Uh, they are absolutely a contender for a three-peat. Um, you know, it's it's going to be tough. I I just think they're they're probably due to not win it. You know, right? It, it seems so unlikely that we'd have a repeat champion. To, you know, in this day and age, but mm-hmm. that team is so well built that I think they're going to get there. Their division's really good. Um, they don't have to be a team that wins their division. The last couple of years, I don't believe they have. So that's that's not a, necessarily a deal breaker. And uh, they, I agree. They're, me- they're, excuse me. They're a mega, mega big uh, thing to watch. In terms of the teams in the East that can compete with them, the Islanders have played them in the semifinals each of the last two years. Uh, I, I like the Islanders to win the Metropolitan Division this year. Um, but Florida's going to be really good. You got Boston, Toronto should be uh, good as well. Montreal made that huge run to the Stanley Cup final last year. Now, they don't have Carey Price for a while uh, to start yeah, this. and they don't have Shea Weber, and it's very possible Shea Weber won't come back. So yep. that's two major pieces for Montreal that are missing. So but they, I, don't, I know we'll get into our picks, but I don't love Montreal. I, I just think, like, you still have Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki. You have yeah. Cole Caulfield. I mean, there are guys, I think, and that's where – the, that run that Montreal had last year in the playoffs and to get to the Stanley Cup final, that's, I think, going to ultimately pay bene- uh, dividends for them and benefit them as the as the season goes on. Yeah, I felt like they were a little, were getting there a little early, you know, and so that's a major boost to get there this year. 
I agree with what you, with what you're laying out. Uh, I think you know if you were to pick the eight teams in each conference, I think it's harder to find the, the right eight in the uh, in the East than it is the West. I think you can mm-hmm. eliminate some teams in the West pretty easily. Um, I, I think Toronto. I mean, obviously they take up a lot of oxygen every year, but uh, you know Austin Matthews. If it's possible for him to become a bigger star, I think he has. He's incredible. Um, and I think his star is only going to get bigger this year. He's on the cover uh, of a ESPN's uh, magazine this week. Yes, he is. And I don't really even know what ESPN's magazine looks like right now. I, 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 I honestly don't even know if they print it, but I did, I did catch that they had the cover story uh, this week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Boston, um, you know, sort of quietly left the playoffs last year. They're going to be a factor as well. Um, you mentioned the Islanders. I think it's I, we start talking about these teams – and you look at the old guard in the uh, Eastern Conference, that's Washington and Pittsburgh. I think it's very realistic one of those teams doesn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. In both. So that is, that's maybe aside from you know the top teams, that's the storyline I'm watching with the East. For years, it seems like the Central Division has been the most difficult division in hockey. I think I'm going to give that to the Metropolitan Division this year because I could make a legit case for just about every one of those teams to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote I wrote down the three teams I thought would win it, and then I wrote down three other teams that I'm like, well, these all could be playoff teams too. So, uh, or, or the three teams that go to the playoffs and then three more that, that could make it as well. So uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, we've got, got eight teams per division, and, and I'm looking at you know six or seven that I would put down as uh, legitimate contenders right there. Who do you like the most in the Metropolitan? I mean, certainly the Islanders are there. The Rangers have a lot of new pieces. Uh, the Devils seem to be probably the worst team in that division, but you have P.K. Subban, so that might, I mean. He... And, and they got Dougie Hamilton. That was one of the more yep. uh, you know, surprising, I guess, destinations of anybody in this offseason. No longer in Carolina, now in uh in uh, New Jersey, and if he has a good season, I mean, we're talking about potential Morris uh, winner at defenseman. So uh, Dougie Hamilton's the guy to watch. I agree. They're, they're, I mean, they've obviously they've got young talent over the last few years. So it's maybe you're looking at, hey, can they put this together and make a run? Uh, I like the Islanders the most. I have Washington pegged second, mm-hmm. uh, and I I am going to go with the Rangers as my third team uh, out of the uh, the Metro. I am going with uh, the Islanders to win it. I have Carolina second and okay. Washington third. All right, we can uh, we can maybe jump ahead a little bit. I have yeah. Carolina one of my wild card teams. So okay. Carolina represented. That does. Uh, I am leaving out Pittsburgh here. So me too. Uh, we, we, I I mean they looked really good against Tampa Bay, but I they're older. You got to think Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin might have a few more injuries throughout the year, and and their depth—they just don't have a lot of depth. And I don't know if I trust their goalie. Uh, no, they, they they don't have the depth, and you know, Crosby's getting older, Malkin's getting older. They're obviously two incredible players, but uh, you know, sort of tasking them with carrying the the duties is going to be tough. Now, I think we've had this conversation a couple of years in a row now, so. Uh, they absolutely could find the fountain of youth. You know, Pittsburgh, they've been a really good team for a really long time, so let's not say it can't happen. But right. uh, i got to give Carolina or or even, you know, 
I think the Rangers are probably the team that you know Pittsburgh might be able to pick pick off. But we didn't even mention Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like Philly, you know, here. So this is this is going to be a tricky uh, tricky scenario. I like even Columbus too. I like their goalie. Right. Um, I they have a, a couple of good pieces or good players there that I think. I, like I said, I think you can make an argument really for any of the eight teams in the Metropolitan to make the playoffs, and that's why I think could ultimately be the demise of this division is I think there could be a, a sort of cannibalism amongst all the teams. I think they're going to really kind of beat up on each other. Yeah, that's certainly possible. We're going to talk about the Atlantic. There's good teams uh, there as well. So, yeah, it's certainly possible that they beat each other up enough. You know, that's I, I know I know people like Philly. That's kind of why I left them out. Mm-hmm. You know, Pittsburgh is going to have a ton of tough games. Um, you know, Carolina is just kind of that team where it's like, okay, they've been good. Uh, the last few years, they do have a, a solid young core. What will they be like without Hamilton? That was kind of a, uh, you know, I think they knew there, there was a chance they wouldn't be able to keep him, but that that's a, that's a big big loss for them. So that's one I'm, I'm keeping an eye on as well. Torch, and, and Torch you, loves you, them, you apparently. Sort of put, you do sort of put the faith here in the Rangers to be able to figure it out and make it wrong. Yeah, our Timmy uh, Panarin is, is good. They have the, what, the Lafren, uh, Lafreniere kid. Yeah. I mean... Capo yeah, they've yep. got. Yeah. Yep, there's a lot to to like. Uh, Torts, uh, John Tortorella loves the Hurricanes this year. I so I, if use use that at your own risk. Yeah, yes. I know, but I, I get the yeah, exactly. But at the same time, if he says it, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll. Uh, the real question is, is you know, Torts hated the media, and now he's working in the media. What team will he be coaching at at the midway point of this season? Because he just doesn't seem like a long timer for uh, being an analyst. No, so. he doesn't. Uh, may I say the Buffalo Sabers? <laughs> that's certainly possible. And in the Atlantic, where the Buffalo Sabers reside, I think that's one of the big storylines in that division is just what's going on in Buffalo with Jack Eichel. Will they uh, will they trade him at some point? Uh, you know, will he regain his captaincy? What it's it just seems it's a very messy situation there in Buffalo. They're not a very good team, but this is a cloud hanging over this organization right now, and they need to get this situation resolved. Well, never say never, but I just can't see a scenario where he's playing for them again. Um, you know, the bridges have been burned. This is obviously real, related to him having you know an injury mm-hmm. and uh, not there being a disagreement over what sort of course of uh, surgery he should have, treatment he should have. And uh, what a messy situation when, you know, the player, you sign the contract, you basically have to, you know, you sign over a certain, uh, I don't know what the word would be, trust with that you're going to use the team's doctors, you're going to follow their advice. But Jack Eichel is a very special player. He's got a big career he's looking at, and frankly, that career does not really look – that future doesn't really involve the Sabres. And so he's looking at, like, I want to get this fixed long-term so I can have uh, a healthy career and, and make another run at this. Like and Minnesota. So, what was that? Well, like in Minnesota. Well, potentially in Minnesota. Really, any any team in the West, I, I can't see him getting traded in the East. Anaheim has been that team that's been looked at a lot, but they're not really going anywhere. So you can you can open up a certain number of teams in the central division to potentially look at. Uh, you know, we'll get into the wild, but I just don't think the wild are going to have really the cap resources to pull this off. No, unlikely. That, yeah. that seems to be the main the main obstacle here. So, uh, absolutely one of the biggest stories. I just think he's going to have to trade at some point. Otherwise, you're just going to have this awkward standoff 
potentially for the whole season. I, I really don't know where this is going to go. In the Atlantic, Buffalo certainly one of the worst teams in there. Detroit and Ottawa are going to be bad once again. Like Those are definitely the bottom feeders, not only in the division, but in the conference, I think, as a whole. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, if I'm going with the whole theory on, on the Metropolitan maybe cannibalizing themselves to a degree, I think that's where the Atlantic, I think, I'm going to just say right now, I think they get five teams in. The okay. one, The one team... Montreal would be my wild card too, and the old, like I could see the Rangers getting in ahead of Montreal. I could see Philly. I could see Columbus. Um, hell, even Pittsburgh. So that's yeah. the that's the one I don't feel great about. But I have Tampa Bay winning this. I have Florida second, Boston, uh, Toronto third. Excuse me, with Boston as the first wild card. Yeah, I have the same four teams, a little bit different order. Uh, I'm just sticking with the fact that Tampa's not going to win the division, right? That's just kind of been, uh, they've kind of had, had that a couple years in a row. So I've got Toronto winning this division. Uh, I have Tampa second, Boston third, and I have Florida as a wild card out of the Atlantic. So I have it four and four between the two divisions. And, uh, yeah, you know, the more you say it, I think those are the four from the Atlantic. Uh, can a 15 get in front of, a Florida or Boston. I mean, it's not out of the question to see Boston regress either this year. So right. uh, that'll be a storyline to keep an eye on. Who do, you, who do you like then coming out of the East? Well, a lot of people seem to be on the Islanders, um, rightfully so. I'm going to pick Tampa Bay. Why would I not pick Tampa Bay? Uh, at least I can, at the end of the year, I can say, you know, you didn't overthink it. Um, I, I really want to pick Toronto, but they've, they've just... You know the postseason is what it is. Why would I? Why would I go with them at, at this point? And I don't. You can say a lot of the same things that people had said about Washington, and then the loss of they break through one time, and the, the narratives completely change. Yep. Um, but uh, until I see it, why not just stick with the pedigree? And if if I'm disappointed in May or whatever, that I can live with that. Yep. So I think until you actually break through and do it, you you, you gotta you you can't pick them. To go all that far, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, to the West, then Central Division, add a new team with Arizona coming in. Welcome Arizona. Uh, welcome to uh, what could be a very long year for you because this is a very very difficult division, and the best team in the NHL, I would say, resides in this division, and that would be the Colorado Avalanche. Nathan McKinnon, uh, Cole Maker. You got uh, Gabriel Land- Landeskog. This is a very, very good team. They di- were disappointed last year losing to Vegas, um, but I, I, I just don't see how this Colorado team doesn't excel and, and make a deep run, if not win the whole or get to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, these guys are loaded, and they have been for a few year, few years now. You know, the one major storyline that's worth watching with these guys, obviously Nathan McKinnon. I mean, we're, we're potentially talking about it a Hart Trophy MVP candidate here mm-hmm. uh, for, for, you know, who, who's maybe not, if it's not going to be Connor McDavid, who's, who's it maybe going to be? Uh, Nathan McKinnon's got to be in the conversation there. Um, but the, the real question is that goalkeeper. Uh, you know, they, they uh, ended up exposing Philip Grubauer in the expansion draft, and Seattle took him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Seattle, they're set a goalkeeper, goaltender, uh, but that meant Colorado had to find a goalie, and then they ended up going with uh, the wild goal friend Darcy Kemper, uh, who was who was uh, solid for the Coyote, uh, you know, Coyotes, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it feels like a big ask. I mean, I watched enough of him with the Wild that uh, he was fine. But, uh, you know, as far as him being the number one goaltender on an elite team, um, you know, you could argue that that doesn't mean he doesn't need to do as much, but that just feels like a big ask. So uh, that is a storyline I'm, I'm keeping a big eye on here with Colorado. Well, like you said, everything else, they're loaded, man. I mean, that's I don't have any questions about the rest of the team. No, no, I, I don't either. Uh, why do people, the one question I have, though, with this division, well, I have many, I guess, but why do people <laughs> love Winnipeg so much? Well, I think people kind of evaluate, like, especially in the postseason, um, and obviously they were in that weird game division. They didn't really get the job done. And people kind of viewed them as it, you should have beaten uh, Montreal, but I had a lot of skill, had, had some skilled players. Um, I, I think that's maybe what people are pointing at. Um, they have, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in, in, the, in the, uh, the league. You know, that's a, that's a major factor as well. So um, I think that's maybe what people are pointing at. I mean, I get you have, uh, you know, Paul Statsny and you have uh, uh, Blake Wheeler and, and um, you know, other guys like that. that, that Mark, Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley, uh, yeah, thank you. I, that, that was the name I meant to say right off the bat, and I... It escaped me. I, I mean, I get. I think Winnipeg's going to be good, but a lot of people just seemed. A lot of the the prognosticators really seem to peg them as the second best team in this division. And I'm looking at like Dallas. I mean, Tyler Sagan and, and Jamie Ben. Like they, they got a lot of a, a lot of explosiveness there in Dallas. And I think Dallas will be good. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Minnesota Wild to make uh, not be the a team that can win this division because Colorado is just so good, but you know, getting Kirill under, under contract and just the, the amount of talent that this team has, uh, assuming that the goaltending can stay up. I think Minnesota has a great chance to be a top two, maybe no worse than third best in this division. Yeah. And that's really why, um, you know, we talked about the, uh, we talked about the Metro being, you know, maybe one of the deepest divisions, but you can make a legitimate case for basically anybody. I think you can peg Colorado one. You can peg, uh, you can peg Arizona eight, and then the other six teams. You can slot them in any which order. You can dock yourself in any of those. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Colorado has been, or excuse me, Chicago has been in the pits, but all of a sudden you get Mark Andre Fleury, you get Seth Jones, and you get Jonathan Case back, and all of a sudden you can dock yourself into that being. Uh, one of the top three teams in that division. You can. Uh, I, yep. I agree with you about Minnesota. I, I guess I'm a little higher on Winnipeg. Uh, we can get into that here in a minute. But, you know, Minnesota, they were sort of under the radar. Krill just gives them a, a major shot in the arm. Uh, it is good to have the contract situation figured out. Uh, they paid him like a big-time player, so hopefully he's ready to, to deliver. Uh, if he plays like he did last year, they should be in good shape. So I'm excited to see him on the ice. It's just a new era, right? You don't have, you do have the money still hanging around, but you don't have Suter, you don't have Parisi. So we're in a new era as far as the identity of this team. Um, I'm very eager. You know, Joel Erickson Eck got an eight eight year contract, so you're looking for him to take on more. You got new captains, uh, new you know alternates, all that sort of thing. Uh, this will be a big, big season for somebody like. Um, uh, excuse me, I'm blanking on his name. Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala. Yes, thank you. Yep. Uh, you know, a guy who uh, you know they basically gave him you know sort of one more bridge deal. Uh, we're not willing to pay him the money that they were willing to pay 
Kirill and Joel Erickson Eck, and I understand that uh, because you do need to see uh, a, more of it from Fiala. So hopefully he responds. He has a big year, sort of forces the Wild hand, and the Wild then respond, and he's part of the future. So, um, But just a lot of excitement around sort of what you're building here. Um, you're not going to have Matt Boldy off the bat. He, he's injured, but Marco Rossi uh, potentially is a guy that we will see uh, at some point this year for the Wild. And, uh, you know, they, they made some, some under-the-radar additions, so it's really what you think about a Dmitry Kulikov. What do you think about an Alex Golodowski? Uh You need Freddie Goudreau to, to make a step forward. Uh, you need Marcus Foligno to be a big piece of, of where this team's going. So uh, they, they are going to be asking some guys to step forward. And then, you know, if, if uh, Kaprizov has the type of sophomore season you want, they could be in business. You mentioned the goalkeeping or the goaltending, and that is a that's a big question for me. Uh, you know, Cam Talbot was good last year, but you remember when we came into the season, everybody's like, "Well, they're really rolling with Cam Talbot for a whole season." So there's there's something there that would maybe point to, okay, he could regress. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have Capo uh, Kakinen sort of waiting in the wings. We, we could see him, uh, you know, take on a bigger role. So that and and they they were a you know, 2.84 goals against team last year. The Wilds were bailed out in a big way because they basically scored 3.2 goals a game. So they need, they do need to score at that rate again this year, and they need their goalkeeping to be good. And so that is something I think that's uh, going to be something I'm going to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And to your point on Kevin Fiala, um, too, I think that's the one one thing I'm looking at because I hope he has a good enough year where the Wild will give him that new contract. I mean, that's the... That's the one good thing that came out of the, um, and now I'm forgetting this, the, the GM's Paul name. Um, Paul Fenton. The Paul, Paul Fenton, Fenton uh, thank you. Yep. yep. That was the one good trade that came out of out of his sh- short tenure. There was the, the trade, you know, trading uh, Mikel Granlin for Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala certainly uh, amped up his game uh, since coming over to Minnesota. I would hope that they can come to a resolution and get a new deal done. But I think, I mean, I think he's going to put up some big numbers this year. Yeah, and, and you know, Paul Fenton, it, it's maybe his most famous quote. He called him a game-breaker. And we saw moments last year where Fiala looked like a game-breaker. And now it's just a matter of consistency. Can you put up the numbers? Can you can you be paid that that uh, eight, nine million dollars, whatever it might be, to, to earn that kind of money? Um, you know, it would be a good thing for the Wild to see that kind of production, but uh, they are going to be in some cap trouble for the next three or four years just because the, the money is not really uh, – you, you did the buyout, and, you know, what a bold move to, to say, like, we're going to cut cut these guys loose. We know there's probably more in the tank, at least a little bit more in the tank for Suter and Parisi, but we need the new identity. We need to, to get free. We do need a little bit of cap relief at least in the short term, mm-hmm. uh, that was a ballsy move. And uh, I'm, I'm glad they did it in retrospect. I think everybody was kind of a little, a little more surprised when it happened. And we know that Parisi and Suter weren't real uh, pleased about it, but it's a business. And yep. uh, I think ultimately they made a, an important decision for this team's future. Absolutely. And I think for most fans, it's probably, you know, they were saddened by the fact that Suter and Parise were no longer there, but I think happy from from what you said too. Like you're you're saving some of that cap space, and you need to infuse the team with some younger talent. 
And I yeah, the one thing that that is worth noting is that you know they didn't win a Stanley Cup. They didn't. Uh, they didn't get to a conference final, but. The identity of the Wild was improved under mm-hmm. the, the time that they were with the Wild. So, Absolutely. Uh, and, and it was good to see a Minnesota team spend that kind of money and mm-hmm. get those types of players that had area connections or people were excited about. You paid him the twin $98 million, 13-year deals, you know, long deals, mm-hmm. no, without question. But uh, all in all, I think it was worth it. And yes. it was a success. And now you move on and you try to make something happen and, you know the the goal scoring reins are handed to to a guy like Kirill uh, Kaprizov. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and so hopefully the Wild will be good. As you mentioned, you know with Chicago, I think Nashville is probably the the second worst team in the the Central Division, only of yeah. uh, you know only ahead of Arizona, Chicago. I Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are just getting older, but they're still great players. Seth Jones is big, and I did forget momentarily, you know, when I was kind of putting my preview together about uh, Marc-Andre Fleury coming over, and that's a, a, a big get for uh, Chicago. I do wonder if if he's mentally over what happened in the, the semifinals against Montreal last year, because that's, I mean, we didn't really see him much after that little debacle there in that, or he certainly wasn't the same. So, and I know he didn't want to go to Chicago initially. He was threatening to retire. So now that he's there, I think Chicago is a, a, a force to be reckoned with to a degree, but I just, I question their depth overall on that team. No, absolutely. And I mean, there are, there are questions uh, with this team. You know, you look at the, uh, the first coach fired list, Jeremy Colleton is on that list pretty high up there. So, Definitely some questions about about the Blackhawks and whether they're going to be able to put it together. And Taze says he's ready. He had sort of this, uh, you know, immune system thing that that was weird that he was out with last year. So everybody's, you know, wondering how healthy will he be, what sort of form will he be. I mean, Patrick Kane, he's, he's I think you know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were in, in addition by subtraction mode, but by getting rid of Duncan Keith and sending him to Edmonton. So. Um, you know, there were some positives there. I think Mark Andre Fleury, that is a plus, but it's it it's going to be one of those things where if it's a poor start, uh, it could get a little hairy for for Chicago. Absolutely. Uh, in the Pacific Division, Vegas, king of the, I mean, cream of the crop in this division. They are certainly, uh, I think, easily the best team in the division. You, they don't have the best player in the division. That would be Edmonton with Connor McDavid, but with Edmonton, I don't. I don't care what they do in the regular season. It's all about what they do in the postseason after getting swept last year by the Jets. This team needs to take that next step in the postseason uh, in order to do that, uh, I think, to gain a lot of trust. And maybe kind of similar to Toronto, you want to take them further, but until they actually do it, it it's tough to you know predict that they're going to do very good. Uh, but the major storyline is, Here's the Seattle Kraken. You know, it's the NHL's 32nd team. Uh, their jerseys are sweet. Uh, they're made up of a whole lot of uh, cast-offs or, you know, from the, the expansion draft. They were players that were made available uh, because they weren't protected. But I do think, and I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this, I mean, unlike with the Vegas expansion draft, I think this time around, 
teams had a had a better idea like oh we got to do things differently than this last expansion draft so i it's while seattle has plenty of good players it's not nearly what vegas got and i don't expect seattle to be able to have that same level of success that vegas did in year one well it's as simple as i mean i i don't know how many trades there were with vegas in their expansion draft but there were zero for seattle uh there were no deals essentially to you know avoid a guy getting taken or anything like that and so yeah i think a lot of teams sort of learned uh they were going to be a lot more careful uh they didn't want to let you know seattle get you know maybe the advantage that everybody seemed to think that vegas got out of the whole thing so yeah i mean they uh there's a lot of ways where they came out ahead i think their defense is pretty solid i think their goalkeeping is going to be great but they yep. got they got a one-two punch that I think a lot of teams would envy. We mentioned with uh, with Grubauer and Chris Dreijers, and those are two really goal, good goalies for for the Kraken. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see. I think the question is really going to be what kind of goal scoring can they get? Where what will they be able to put together on that front? You mentioned Edmonton. Uh, I maybe haven't learned my lesson on Toronto. I feel like I've learned my lesson on Edmonton. I mean, to <laughs> me, this is a team that uh, has two extremely Great players, Leon Draisaitl, Connor McDavid, one and two, can't can't beat them. And after that, I don't trust any of these guys. I mean, it's just it's it's a uh, you know sort of a cavalcade of, of guys where you're just like I I'll wait until I see it. And uh, so that's a that's a major question mark for me watching Edmonton. And yeah, Vegas is the class of this division. Uh, they they sort of settle things at the goaltender position with Robin Lehner being the the main guy with no Mark Andre Fleury, and what a weird situation it's been over the last you know year or two with uh, you know deciding who was going to be the main goalie and all that sort of thing. So it is Robin Lehner's team. Ironic that Robin Lehner used to be in Chicago, and now Mark Andre Fleury's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would expect yeah Vegas to win this division pretty easily. Um, I think the three teams we've talked about will be the three teams that come out of this division uh, for the playoffs because the rest of this division is not good. I mean maybe Vancouver. Uh, jumps up and gets in the mix. I don't trust it. Um, you know, the California teams are going to be pretty bad. San Jose, yep. the Kings, maybe Anaheim if they do get Jack Eichel and, and things, they get off to a good start and then add him. But, uh, you know, Calgary's not going to be good. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think uh, Seattle is going to probably make the playoffs in their first year just because they're not a good division. Yeah, this is easily the worst division in hockey. Um, I... I'm going to go back to the well one more time with Vancouver. I just I, Last year was not a good year for them. Um, they had a lot of COVID issues, and that certainly didn't help matters. But based on the young talent you know, that I saw in that playoff series against the Wild. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, I think we're maybe are both prisoners of the moment of that, sure. that playoff series. Because, yeah, they didn't really show any of that last year, but. I do agree. They've got good young talent, and there is some pressure there in Vancouver to say, like, okay, if this division is so bad, let's let's go do something. So they are maybe that sleeper that uh, could potentially get in the mix. Yeah, and I, Calgary, I think, could be in the mix as well. But as you said, the California teams, it doesn't matter what order you put them in as long as it's 6, 7, and 8 because yeah. they they aren't making the, the, the playoffs here. So um, in the West, then, what are your uh, – what are your? Who are your playoff teams? I've got uh, Colorado, Minnesota, Winnipeg. Those are my three in the Central. 
Um, I have Vegas, Edmonton, Seattle, my three in the Pacific. And I've got Chicago and Dallas, my wild cards. Uh, I've got Dallas, edged out uh, St. Louis. All right, very good. We are in agreement on the Central. I, again, I, I like you, Colorado, Minnesota, Winnipeg. I have Vegas. I have Edmonton, and I am going with Vancouver for that third spot in the Pacific. And the wild cards, I am going to go with Dallas and St. Louis with Seattle missing out. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. I, I, I think you might be on the safe side there because I think a lot of people are, are maybe jumping into Seattle as, as a playoff team. Uh, I'm one of them, uh, as my picks would indicate, but it might be good to zig uh, when everybody else is zagging there, so not I, a bad call. I mean, it's... I just feel like it's going to be difficult, more difficult than with Vegas. I, the expectations, yeah, oh, I think, absolutely. are going to be high. Teams are going to be ready. Teams yep. are going to be ready for them. Yep. Uh, but if nothing else, just watch anytime Seattle's on TV so you can take a look at those sweet uni- uniforms. And I don't know if you saw the introduction that Vegas had for them uh, in the game last uh, on Tuesday night. But just the on-ice presentation of like the Kraken coming out of the – it was so cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure there's video out there, but that that was pretty amazing stuff. So uh, coming out let, of the western, let me, let me just get one more yeah. final word about these these sweaters. Yes. I, I don't own a I don't own a hockey sweater of any NHL team. I do have a Gophers one, but uh, they that makes me want to consider buying one. And oh. I, I'm probably yeah. not going to go to a Seattle Kraken game anytime soon. But that's how good they are. I yes, I think it I think it's a must. Need to you, you need to own one at some point. Here they are just so freaking sweet. The 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 color schemes and and the name itself. I mean, it's the Kraken. I mean, it, it, if that doesn't just get you going, I don't know what will. But um, I know is the NHL. Do you think are, are they going to reseed at the semifinal like we saw last year? Because I really like that. Uh, just or do you th- are they going to go east east west west? I have not. I have not heard that they're going to reseed. So I just assume we're back to the playoff format of a couple years ago. I really, I really wish they would just get rid of the the three, you know, like divisional ones. You gotta go one through eight. Yeah, I, I agree. It it does make. Uh, I will say it does make picking the picking the divisions a little bit more interesting. Like I actually mm-hmm. have to look up who's in the Metro, who's in the Atlantic, because I can't ever remember. Uh, but it it. Yeah, I agree. It would just be easier if it was one one through eight, um, and yeah, it was an interesting wrinkle last year to have the cross division thing. Um, you know, obviously it, it ended up being that way because of the Canadian thing, and we I know we talked last year like it it would be you know the Canadian Canadian division wasn't all bad, but yeah, uh, back to normal here with uh, with the uh, Atlantic Metro and Pacific and Central. Yeah, I, I I just love the way they reseeded it. And you're right, it does make picking divisions more difficult, but I, I just want the eight best teams in the conference regardless of what happens. But I have uh, Tampa Bay against New York, uh, the two division winners. It's likely not going to happen, but that's who I have. And in the West, I have Colorado against Vegas. It, again, division winners, but those are just the best teams in hockey, uh, at least as of right now. Before everyone started, so I those are my semifinal teams. Who do you have? I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Colorado and Vegas in the West. Uh, I'm gonna take Colorado to merge from that. 
and I'm going to take Tampa Bay against the Islanders. We've seen that playoff matchup, and I'm going to take uh, Tampa Bay. So I'm going as chalk as, as possible here. I'm going to have Colorado and Tampa, and I have Colorado to nine, Tampa to three in the Stanley Cup final. Colorado breaks through. And we are in full agreement here because that's what I have as well. Same four teams. Same two teams making the Stanley Cup final. Same result. Uh, I, this is always dangerous. We we know that. We have so. never, I don't think, uh, when you and I have been in agreement uh, unanimously with our picks uh, like like this in years past, it's never worked out that way. I, I cannot wait to see Calgary against Florida for the Stanley Cup final uh, because that's the kind of thing we would get here when we're going this chalky. Well, the last time that ESPN uh, had hockey Tampa Bay beat Calgary in the Stanley Cup final so it would only be fitting if Calgary got in right (laughs) yeah somebody somebody had a stat on Twitter that that you know ESPN's like last 10 broadcasts had all involved Tampa you know yes before before the second game on Tuesday which what a weird what a weird stat it is it's a span of over 6,000 days yep two Amazing. Anything else uh, that we need to discuss or that you want to discuss from the hockey season? I think the other the other big thing, uh, and it, it appears to be all systems go, we're picking national teams, is uh, we're going to have an Olympic break. We're going to send uh, mm-hmm. send guys over to the Olympics, so that that's exciting. Uh, and that we're going to have that in, in February, and uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be... It'll be a challenge to watch it all live. It'll basically be a replay of what we saw in the summer games as far as the time, time zones go with, with China. But uh, I'm happy to, to see that for the first time in eight years we're going to send uh, we're gonna send the pros over. It was necessary, wasn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's needed. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, the players wanted to go. Uh, dumbass uh, NHL need to figure it out. And so we're doing it. And, uh, you know, provided there's not a major hurdle here – over COVID or, or anything else, but we're we're picking NHL guys to the national teams in Canada, the U.S. So I have to think this is happening. I just like it because I think it helps the sport overall and it helps the intrigue with the tournament. In the and, and, and since we when, since we started with the uh, TV conversation, that's where NBC gets back in the hockey game at exactly. least for a couple. Weeks, so. And I imagine Kenny Albert will be back. Uh, will be calling the the hockey. I, if he didn't burn any bridges, I imagine he will. So it, it's so weird. Uh, I saw Anson Carter in the pregame talk about oh the 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 previous network we worked at that you know that covered hockey. I'm like, or he said something to that effect. Like you can't even say NBC. Like, like can't you give them some credit for for helping get hockey? It, granted, they didn't necessarily grow the sport. But they were the ones that took it on through the lockouts. So yeah, it, it, they did not do. A, it was not all bad. I mean, they, they, there were a lot of good things that happened. I mean, uh, when when the last time, I mean, they they kind of led the, the the Winter Classic, the Stadium Series thing. That that was a lot bigger. Um, you know, it was not all bad. No, it wasn't. Uh, but mentioning the winter or the the. Uh, the, the break in there for the Olympics, which again is, is needed and necessary, but the Wild will not have a home game at the XL Energy Center from January 25th through uh, through February through the end of February. They yeah. don't they play three games in February, all are on the road, and <laughs> I mean, so you're going to have a month 
You're going to have five weeks without a game at the XL Energy Center. That's crazy. Well, and that, that kind of works out for them because the XL Energy Center gets pretty booked in, uh, in February and March, so it's not all bad that there's not going to be any NHL there uh, with the various uh, hockey and wrestling and, and uh, the you know, NCHC uh, frozen face-off and all that. So not all bad that uh, the Wild are, are not going to be around as much uh, in February. No, it's it. That's very true. And I'm just looking at the schedule here in March, and there is a stretch where they have nine straight games at home to end March. Yes, to end March. Yeah. Yep. The last nine games are all at home. Um, but I, I don't think they play a lot of home games early here. I, I think they've got quite a few road games to start. So uh, that's. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, so they do, and and hopefully though that that won't uh, make they they just they got to get through the the early portion of the season in okay shape to be able to make the playoffs, and I think they will. I think this team is is talented enough, but it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to going, uh, you know, to, to watching all the these games on ESPN and T and TNT and. Hoping the Wild do good. Like you said, we got the Olympics, so it should be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll have you on throughout the season to, to talk about it. That sounds great. And and as we uh, as I sort of partially alluded to, Winter Classic in Minnesota to start twenty twenty two. That that uh, that will be fun. It will. It will. Uh, the jerseys, yay or nay on the jerseys? I'm not too crazy about them. I, I think the the concept is is all right. I don't love the brown patches on the elbows. Uh, that's a little. That's a little weird, but I, I. I mean, it's meant for people to spend three hundred bucks on a on a jersey, and that's not going to be me anyway. So, uh, if you know they're going to wear it three times during the year, that that's fine. Spend so. your three hundred dollars on a Kraken jersey. That's right. That's right. And now I think I feel like I have to get a Kraken jersey at some point so I can be stacking Kraken. Of course, yeah. So the. There you go, uh, and I, on the on the Winter Classic jerseys, uh, good on the concept, poor uh, poor execution. That's pretty much how it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that they tried to sort of blend the the two cities. I mean, where they are the twin cities, but yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know. You know, the Wild are just kind of screwed with the colors they have. Let's be honest, be green and red, unless you're unless you're going to lean into the Christmas thing, it, it's tough. So. People are still celebrating Christmas at that time, too. So that, That's right. That. All right, Marcus, always appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, be well and uh, enjoy the pickleball, and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Dakin. Thank you, Marcus. Marcus Traxler, kind enough to spend a very good hour-plus here with us here. A, a great hockey talk. I mean, we just it, it's always good talking with Marcus. He knows his stuff, and that's what's great. So we have the apologies to the Islanders, Lightning, Fans uh, to the Avalanche fans and the Golden Knights fans. We all we we both have those four teams in the conference finals, and we have Colorado over Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's just Nathan McKinnon is so good, but uh, we have a few different differences in there. So that that's great, but great hockey talk there as well. My voice is just about gone, so we're just gonna power through this right now. Let's go back, take a look at Week Five in the NFL and make some quick picks for week six here. Um, started Thursday night, right? Yeah, of course the game started Thursday night. It was in Seattle. Uh, bad night for fingers. 
Matthew Stafford hurt his finger. Russell Wilson hurt his finger, and he's actually going to be out four to eight weeks. Uh, the game of the uh, the play of the game was the block punt, and then Michael Dixon for Seattle picked it up, ran it a little bit. I mean, just scooping it up the off the turf, punted it 68 yards. But the the Colts or the Colts, oy vey, the Rams end up winning this game. 26 to 17. By the way, I had 27 17 in the prediction, so it's one point off. Uh, Sunday, uh, talked about it with Crins. The Vikings win 19 17. They blow a 16 6 lead. But Kirk Cousins leads the team down the, the field uh, with 37, 33 seconds left. Great win. Uh, great comeback win. You shouldn't have had to do it against the Lions. This season going down the train. Oh, before that game, uh, there was a London game. Matt Ryan uh, had a great game. Kyle Pitts, rookie tight end, breakout game for him. The Falcons beat the Jets 27-20. Zach Wilson, what a shock. Terrible game for the Jets. Uh, What a game in Cincinnati where five consecutive missed field goals happened. The Packers end up winning 25-22. Evan McPherson, bless his soul, Bengals rookie kicker, thought he had made the game-winning field goal in overtime, hit the flag, kind of, Bounced off the upright in the flag. I don't know. It, he thought he made it. They, he did not. And he's forever now a meme as a result. Derrick Henry rushes for 130 yards, three touchdowns. Titans get the win 37-19 over the Jaguars, who have now lost 20 straight games. That's the third longest streak in NFL history. Pittsburgh Steelers get back on the winning track. Najee Harris, the rookie running back, had over 100 yards rushing uh, Steelers hold off the Broncos 27 to 19 but it wasn't all uh sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and whatnot for the Steelers Juju Smith-Schuster the wide receiver out for the year with a shoulder injury Tom Brady throws for over 400 yards five touchdowns Tampa Bay Buccaneers route the Miami Dolphins 45 to 17 Tom Brady playing at an MVP level uh New Orleans Saints just whatever I pick for them just do the opposite. Except, I guess, I did pick week two. They picked that they were going to lose to Carolina, and they did. Saints beat Washington 33-22. to Highlight in this one, Hail Mary thrown by Jameis Winston at the end of the first half. Marquez Callaway caught it. Just terrible defense by Washington. What are you doing here? Uh, but uh, Alvin Kamara, rushing touchdown and receiving touchdown in this one as well. Saints improved to 3-2. and two. Washington falls to 2-3. and three. Uh, Mac Jones and the New England Patriots bounced back from that loss against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Fell behind early. They were down by 16 at one point in this game to the Texans. They come back and win 25-22. Game-tying touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then a game ti- a game-winning field goal late in the fourth quarter as, uh, as New England does what they, they do. Bounce back, and they beat... Uh, by the way, um, quarterback for the Texans. Why am I forgetting his name? Mills, Davis Mills, excuse me. That was, that was, anyway, Davis Mills, over 300 yards, three touchdowns, so good for him. Uh, the John Gruden thing, there that is breaking news. He's no longer the head coach of the Raiders. That happened after Travis and I recorded our session here on the podcast. We will discuss that situation next week in depth because there's a lot to get into there. But given the email situation there, the Raiders... Uh, just didn't look like they wanted to play in this game. Uh, very listless performance lifeless uh justin fields and the bears win 20 to 9 a good uh defensive game from them game of the day happened in la with the chargers beating cleveland 47 42 back and forth these two teams went 
the, the Chargers score the final two touchdowns of the game. Austin Eckler, three touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone. The Browns had over 500 yards of offense, 40-plus points, 42, and no turnovers. They become the first team ever in NFL history to have those three things and lose a game. Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray and company hold off the 49ers. Trey Lance, Masha, Masha, Masha native, uh, made his first start. The 49ers, however, lose 17-10. to Arizona 5-0 for the first time since 1974 when they were the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Dallas Cowboys beat the New York Giants 44-20. Giants dropped like flies in this one. Daniel Jones, a quarterback, left with a concussion. Saquon Barkley had an ankle injury. Um, Kenny Galladay, the wide receiver, had a, had a um, leg injury. And this was nearly one year to the day exactly that Dak Prescott hurt, uh, had that nasty ankle injury against the Giants. Oh, people are like, oh, it's ironic that they're playing him. No, the NFL planned that. Don't No other way around it. They knew that that was going to happen. Sunday Night Football, the Buffalo Bills made a statement. The Kent City Chiefs defense is absolutely terrible. Josh Allen, fantastic in this one. 15 of 26 for over 300 yards, three scores. Had a rushing touchdown as well. The Bills win 38 to 20. The Chiefs are in major trouble. And then what a game Monday night. Baltimore trailing 22 to 3 at one point. Uh, come back, or 19 to 3. Yeah, 22 to 3 at one 25-9, whatever. They were down by 16 in the fourth quarter. They score two touchdowns, convert the two-point conversion on both of the um, tries. Then they get the ball in overtime. Lamar Jackson was 37-43, over 400 yards, three touchdowns. He's just great. Never before. I mean, had most passing yards in a game in Baltimore history, 442. He was just fantastic. And Baltimore improves the 4-1 while the Colts inexplicably fall to 1-4. You can't lose that game. Week six, let's make some quick picks here uh, while the voice still has a little bit left. It begins Thursday night football, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Philadelphia Eagles, 8.20 p.m. Eastern, 7.20 p.m. Central Time on Fox. I'm How do you not pick against, or how do you not pick Tom Brady and the Bucs? I ain't going to make that mistake. I'm going with the Bucs to beat Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Oh, by the way, the Eagles beat the Panthers. I think I missed that one. Uh, the Eagles had zero offense in the first half. There's zero offense throughout much of the game. They come back. Thanks to a block punt, they beat the Carolina Panthers 21-18. to That was week five. Uh, Sunday then, Minnesota Vikings at the Carolina Panthers, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on Fox. 50-50 chance, it sounds like, that Christian McCaffrey will play. I think if he doesn't play, the Vikings probably win, but I, the Vikings, you just barely beat the Lions. Why do I have any faith that you're going to beat the Panthers? I don't uh, take in the Panthers in this one, though. I think the Vikings, it will not shock me if the Vikings win. They should win, but I'm not picking them. Oh, before that, my goodness, what are, what are we doing here? Um, London, yet another shitty game. Miami Dolphins at the Jacksonville Jaguars, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Central Time on CBS. Sounds like two is going to come back, so that will help the Dolphins. But I, I'm going to give the Jaguars the win in this one. I don't know why. It's a dumb move. But let's give them the win here. Kansas City Chiefs at the Washington football team, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on CBS. Washington's defense hasn't been very good. Let's roll with the Chiefs. Mahomes and company, it's time to show what you got. Got to cut down on turnovers. Maybe the uh, the defense can show up a little bit here, but give me the Chiefs in this one. Uh, L.A. Chargers at the Baltimore Ravens, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on CBS. Battle of 4-1 teams. The Chargers are fantastic. The Ravens, I think there are some flaws with this team, but they somehow find ways to win. 
And just because it's an early kickoff, I think I'm going to give the Ravens here the, the nod. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe the Chargers will have a good defensive plan against Lamar Jackson like they did in that playoff game a couple years ago. Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on Fox. Um, listen, the Packers are playing really good right now. They probably shouldn't have beat the Bengals last week, but they did. Um, yeah, Packers, they're going to beat Justin Fields and company. Give me Green Bay. Cincinnati Bengals at the Detroit Lions, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on Fox. Uh, Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, has a throat contusion. That's not great. But I think the Bengals are better than the Lions uh, by virtue of that record. The Bengals are going to get the win in this one. They've won six straight games against Detroit for what it's worth. Houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on CBS. What a garbage game. Uh, Colts are better. They're going to get the win over the Texans here. 4-1 LA Rams at the 1-4 New York Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on Fox. Given all the injuries that the Giants have, I can't take them to win this game. Give me the Rams in this one to cruise. Arizona Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, 3.05 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Kyler Murray is questionable in this game with a shoulder injury. It would be a battle of former Oklahoma teammates. Kyler Murray for Arizona, Baker Mayfield for Cleveland. The Mur if Murray doesn't play, I'm for sure taking Cleveland. But even if Murray does play, I think the last undefeated team goes down. Give me the Browns to win in this one. Uh, Dallas Cowboys at the New England Patriots, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, 3.25 p.m. Central Time on CBS. The Patriots are 0-3 at home this year. Make it 0-4. Cowboys playing too good football right now, taking the boys. Then uh, Las Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, 3.25 p.m. Central Time on CBS. I get that the Raiders say they're moving on from John Gruden, that you know they think they're going to be good, that they're focused on this game. I, I, We'll see. I'm taking Denver to win this one. Then the Seattle Seahawks at the Pittsburgh Steelers, 8.20 p.m. Eastern, 7.20 p.m. Central Time on NBC. Geno Smith going to get his first start uh, for Seattle. I think it's going to be tough against that Pittsburgh defense. They're going to throw some different looks at him. I'm going to take Pittsburgh here. You know, I don't say that with a great deal of confidence. And the, uh, I, I, don't, I, just, I just don't think Pittsburgh's all that good. And then the Buffalo Bills at the Tennessee Titans, ESPN Monday Night Football, 8.15 p.m. Eastern, 7.15 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Bills at the Titans. Titans beat him last year. The Titans defense isn't that good. The Bills offense playing really good right now. Give me the Bills to win this one. We have actually have buys this week. Jets, Falcons, Saints, 49ers all on the buy. And those are your week six picks. Official picks and predictions can be found in the stack, stackattack.sportsblog.com. A huge podcast this week. We, we got Charlie on to talk college football. Travis and I, of course, talked NFL, college football, baseball playoffs and everything. And then uh, Marcus to preview the NHL season. So great stuff here. Hopefully you enjoyed this elongated podcast, but it's well worth it. We'll have a shorter podcast this week, but we'll talk. We'll bring Marcus on to talk hockey at some point. Again, uh, we'll talk college football with Charlie here soon. Um, get him on hopefully weekly, maybe not next week, but we'll see. Uh, you just never know what happens in the world of sports. So uh, next week we'll talk more playoff baseball. We'll talk NFL, we'll talk what the Vikings did, uh, NBA season preview with Travis, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that, and see what else, uh, of course, uh, thoughts on John Gruden. So, for Travis and Charlie and Marcus, I'm Nathan Stacken saying thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Blog Podcast. Follow us on uh, Twitter, at NDStacken, at Travis Krenz, at CE Hildebrand, at Marcus Traxler, Facebook Nathan Stacken, a link to the podcast, posted middle to later part of each week. 
Hope you enjoyed this one. Enjoy the weekend. Happy anniversary to my wife, Kelsey. Six years. Love you, hon. Here's to many more. Um, but enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the week of sports. Great that hockey's back. And we will talk to you next week. Plenty more sports talk to get into. So for everyone here at the Sports Block Podcast, I'm Nathan Sacken saying thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. I hope we'll have a voice next week. Have a great week, everyone.